everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells. I'm Autumn. That's Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. This is a movie podcast where we talk about movies. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, I I almost launched into just doing the Ghost Divers intro. <laughs> <laughs> the anime podcast on the show. Export Audio Network. <laughs> no, this is my fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't an anime podcast. This is a movie podcast. <laughs> I was about to throw to you and be like, "Did you watch any movies?" But you've written the spreadsheet so that I start by talking about movies. Yeah. Um, and I also start by correcting how you have written a title here. Anyway, oh, you wrote internal affairs, not infernal yeah. affairs. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I um. God, the rhythm is totally off. <laughs> I should have had you Hello started. Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. <laughs> no, this is an anime podcast on the Expert Audio Network. I'm your host, Neve, and I'm joined by your other co-host, Autumn. That's me. And Autumn, I hear that you watched a movie this week. Uh, in <laughs> fact, watched you've, watched, you've watched six movies <laughs> since we last recorded, which uh, for people listening at home, we recorded on Friday. Uh, it is now Tuesday, which is your birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, yeah, you've yeah. watched six movies in what? <laughs> Friday, so Saturday, Sunday, Monday, four, four days. days. That's, yeah. <laughs> now, now, I do want to point out five of them were today. <laughs> That's not strictly but true. It kind of is though. But do you want to do you want to start with the one that you watched not at all today? Uh, yeah, Infernal I watched Affairs. this yesterday or the day before, I think. Um Infernal Affairs. I just um my friend Jackson um rewatched in um, let me back up. Let me back up cuz I started telling two stories at the same time. <laughs> Uh, my friend Jackson watched Infernal Affairs a couple months ago um, and, like, went on VoIP Life or Blockbusters or Repertory Screenings. I don't remember. They went on a podcast and was like, yeah, I really liked Infernal Affairs. And I was just like, damn, you know, it's a good movie, Infernal Affairs. And then, like, once a week, Jackson will just say something like, man, you ever think about Infernal Affairs? <laughs> and, like, yeah. like... When they saw it, they were like, that's a pretty good movie. And then just, it has come up in every conversation. They're just always thinking about Infernal Affairs. Um, <clears throat> I had seen this movie in maybe 2014 or 2015. Um, I remember it was early in college for me. Um, it was right around the same time that I saw Old Boy. Because I saw... Old Boy and Infernal Affairs, and I was like, I was starting college, it was like the time where I was like, falling off of watching movies almost entirely, and I saw those two movies, I was like, wow, there's a whole world of like, Asian cinema that I don't know anything about, I don't know fucking anything, it would be so cool to get like, really into that, and then I just dropped that thought for six years, or whatever the hell. <laughs> yeah. I just... <laughs> I ended up being right. I ended up uh, getting really into Asian cinema, but it just took me years to get there. <laughs> but um, in, in Infernal Affairs is truly one of the best movies, I think. Um, I liked it even more this time than I did last time. Um, if people are not familiar with the premise, um, 
I mean, if people are not familiar, um, this movie gets remade in the U.S. as The Departed, which is a terrible movie. Fucking awful. But um, Infernal Affairs is about Tony Lung as um, a, a undercover cop um, trying to uh, bust up a gang bringing drugs into... Um, I don't think they're in Hong Kong, but I don't know where they are. Um, and Andy Lau is playing a cop who or, or is playing a, a member of this triad who is, you know, gone through cadet school and risen through the ranks of the police department um, and is acting as a sort of mole for um, the, the, the triad. So um, it's fucking good. There's so much betrayal. There's so much like, who am I really? Am I the cop or the criminal? Uh, there, there, there's so much, oh, I've made a decision to change my life. And then, boom, a gun goes off and someone dies. And now the ch- direction of my life has changed once again, you know? Um, yeah. Also, this movie comes out in 2002. And so, it kind of looks like shit a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> there's a weird like mixing of like 2000s aesthetics and 90s aesthetics that make this movie look really washed out and bad a lot of the time in a way that is like intensely nostalgic for me and intensely just like oh i love it Ooh, i want to eat it up <laughs> yeah um, uh this this was ex- like there's just a way movies were made around this time that uh, some movies like manage to escape from or like do well enough, and other movies are just like, "Wow, this surely was a two early two thousands movie." Huh. Yeah, it felt like <clears throat> I'm not really familiar with either of the directors, um, Andrew Lau or Alan Mack, but um, uh, or Mock. Um, it feels like maybe they were like, hey, let's try something. Like, we got this fancy new camera. We got, you know, oh, um, you see all that color grading stuff they're doing in Hollywood. I can't quite tell what it is that's making the movie look like this. But there's just something that makes it look weird and washed out and glossy. Um, but I love it. it it's like bad but in a way that i just really adore so um that's infernal affairs i i i don't know how much more i could say unless we were covering it because all the stuff that makes that movie cool is like the plot you know so yeah and tony long yeah yeah that man starts that movie sad he ends that movie fucking sad also there's like an incredible shot it might be hong kong because there is a like a there's like a bay and so there's this incredible shot of him like sitting on top of a building like sort of like perched over the edge like he you know a a strong breeze would just knock him right over to his death um and he's on like a flip phone and he's calling andy lau's character and he's like i want my identity back and it's the coolest anybody's ever looked at a film it's so good (laughs) um i'm really excited for you to watch dead or alive and dead or alive two birds (laughs) (laughs) we we we're gonna talk about those a little bit more on this episode um wait are i guess we are 
I guess we are. Kind of, you know. I was going to say one more thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to close out, I guess, on saying, you know, last time we were talking about um, fucking movie stars like George Clooney, you know. Um, Tony, I don't know how he didn't mention Tony Lung because that's our favorite movie star guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, wa- he walks in the screen and you're like, holy shit, it's him. It's the boy. Um, he's great. Uh, is it my turn? It's your turn. So, uh, in the continuing quest to entertain a toddler for a little bit, um, we watched Fantasia as well as Fantasia 2000. Um, this was partly born out of just like, both of them are, are things where there's, it's mostly music, um, there's like animation, but it kind of varies stuff up. Um, and so it was just kind of a thing that we could have on in the background and was like very non disruptive, uh, and just like chill, you know? Mm-hmm. There's not like a lot of dialogue, although, whenever, uh, it would cut away from like the animation and the music and it would go to like the director or whatever, you know, the, um, not director, the, why am I drawing a blank on what it's called? The person who like leads the orchestra. Why do I Condu- not remember what this conductor? Conductor, um, just like talking about what the next piece was. Um, our toddler was just like, "No, I don't want to watch this." So he had to like skip past it <laughs> because <laughs> they're just like, "Why is this man talking to me? Give me animation." <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> The, I, my main thoughts here just, like, are specifically watching Fantasia and then Fantasia 2000, which is that Fantasia is, like, a, uh, showcasing of technology, but the technology that they're showcasing is, like, sync sound in a way that is just, like, yeah, this is, like, still fairly new at the time, and they're just doing something, like, extravagant with it. But that technology was like pretty set, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like there wasn't there wasn't a ton of advancement to be done with sync sound. There's definitely like ways that it is improved, but like the whole thing of hey, you used to be going to these silent films where there might be like uh, an organist or something, or if you went to a really big theater, maybe they had like a little orchestra and an orchestra pit who was you know, playing music along with the thing that you're watching. Now we can have the orchestra, like just be on the soundtrack and we can like perfectly animate to the orchestra in a way that just like doing this animation perfectly to the sounds would be so hard to do with an act like actual orchestra. Um, not that it would be impossible. I think there may have even been attempts to do this with Fantasia, but like, Mm. It is specifically showcasing, like, hey, we can, like, give you this grand experience of hearing an orchestra, seeing it sync up perfectly with the video or, like, you know, the the movie that you're watching. Um, And that's just, like, incredible. And we're just going to do some really good animation. We're going to get a bunch of directors and have them do individual pieces, and we'll just string them all together. Um, And, like, honestly, the thing that people remember from it, which is the the Mickey and the Mouse, like... um, Sorcerer's Apprentice thing. The Mickey thing. the Mouse? <laughs> yeah, the Mickey the Mouse thing. There's, like, I, you know, the Mickey the Mouse section. 
the section that is Mickey the Mouse. Not like, <laughs> not like the Mickey the Mouse, but like the <laughs> section that's Mickey. Anyway, he's not Sonic Hedgehog. <laughs> no, I'm saying it would be like saying we're gonna get to the Ghost in the Shell segment. The name of the movie is Ghost in the Shell, but we're going to get to the Ghost in the Shell segment of our podcast. I just you, felt you understand how this works. I just, <laughs> I haven't seen, I haven't seen. Fantasia in a very, very, very long time. I was just losing it at Mickey the Mouse. <laughs> Wait, did I say Mickey the Mouse? I just thought I said the Mickey Mouse section. Anyway. You said Mickey the Mouse like seven times. I... <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? My brain just got stuck in that rut, I guess. Anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's just really funny. <laughs> anyway, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, the Mickey Mouse segment, of it is not even the best animation in this. Um, it's the thing that everyone remembers because it's Mickey Mouse, mm-hmm. Mickey the Mouse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's not it's not that great um, compared to some of the other things in here. There is the the segment with the um, like unicorns and uh, centaurs and stuff. That's a weird ass segment. Um, and I I think the version that they. <laughs> No, delete <laughs> featuring Mickey the Mouse out of this spreadsheet. I don't want to see it. Um, anyway. <laughs> yes, Fantasia 2000 has the exact same Sorcerer's Apprentice, basically. Um, anyway. Um, where was I? I'm, I'm totally Max. derailed. <laughs> My- uh, centaurs. Yeah, the centaur section is one. It's the part that had like the really racist part, which I think they've cut out of Disney Plus. But um, the like original version had like some real racist stuff in it. Uh, but it's also still kind of like weird and it it's horny in a way that like if you're horny in this way about centaurs now, you just have a Patreon where people like give you money every month to draw horny centaur art. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then in 1940, you just had to make a kid's cartoon about it. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's like falling in this period that's before, um, like ratings and everything where I feel like the idea of like a kid's movie hasn't solidified in the way that it did when there was like a G and PG ratings, you know? Right. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, some of this is like stuff that you may not put into a movie for quote-unquote kids now because back then it was kind of just like oh here's the thing that anyone will go to um anyway the original fantasia uh it's showcasing this like sync sound it's um it's showcasing like some really impressive animation uh but all of that stuff holds up as just like oh yeah this is like this is like working as a entertaining thing to watch um, I felt like the thing with Fantasia is a lot, uh, 2000 is that a lot of it is trying to showcase digital animation, but they're doing it in 1999. Right. And so like, there's like a thing that's with 3d animated whales that are all swimming and it just looks bad now. Um, yeah. the part that's like really obviously 3d animated that looks a little bit better is the part where it's all toys, which is like, okay, yeah, like. Pixar. This is why Toy Story worked is because, like, toys are are plastic and, like, kind of rigid and static in the way that um, 3D animation, even today, still is, like, 
so much more uh, rigid and like, you know, the the like integrity of the shape is, is so important with 3D animation. It's like so hard to like stretch those things in a way that it's very easy to just like play with those in hand drawn animation. Um, so all, none of that stuff like really holds up. And then there's a lot of other stuff that's like the digital animation stuff where, you know, originally they would have just had to draw like the same identical flamingo like five times because they're all doing a synchronized dance. And now they just draw it once and they can use digital techniques to like duplicate that on like different planes. But it's so obvious that's what they're doing right now because the technology is not there yet in the way that like now it, it feels less noticeable because that's just like, they figured out how to make it work. Um, So yeah, I found Fantasia 2000, like there's still some good parts in it, but I just found it so it's trying to showcase 3d animation, but like the technology that Fantasia was showcasing was not technology that was like based on processors in the way that this is. And so just like what Fantasia 2000 is trying to showcase is just stuff that like, well, of course it's going to get better because like computers are going to get faster and you know, like these techniques are still being developed. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was kind of, it was a little bit disappointing for that reason, but, um, it was still fun watching them back to back, I guess. Um, there is notably more diversity in Fantasia 2000, unsurprisingly. Um, I, I'm but. surprised that that is like a thing that people are being conscious of as early as 2000, I guess, you know, I guess but. I I will say the thing about it is that a lot of it feels I was watching it. And like one of the big diversity ones is they do Rhapsody in blue. And then it's, you know, black characters living in a city with like this jazzy soundtrack. And I was just like, oh, yeah, what has happened between 1940 and 1999 is that like now jazz is a thing that like affluent white people enjoy you know Mm, it's not like there's like actual like modern you know 1999 black culture on display in this film yeah um in in like this more pronounced way that like you know you go watch boys in the hood we talked about last week right um that's like a very different thing like this is like oh no like jazz you go to like the the symphony that like costs you know hundreds of dollars and for right, tickets well, and you go sit in a seat and you listen to like a band play jazz music like th- this is just this is the like folding in of aspects of black culture into yes. white culture um well, so that's I mean, what's, like that's what's happening in fantasia 2000 i feel like even in 1999 like you know there is um like jazz music being made by like five like black kids in their bedroom using like you know instruments they borrowed from the school um and then there is you know this sort of stuff (laughs) yeah um Um, before also rhapsody in blue is is what george gershwin so it's like not even like the right the animation along with it is like you know, a black kid like drumming and things, but like it was a 1924 musical <laughs> that they right. were pulling from. Like, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Um. 
Uh, what was I gonna? I was gonna ask you something. Oh yeah, this is like the most tangentially related thing ever. So like, uh, if you have anything else about Fantasia, you should go because I just want to oh. ask you a question. Um, stairs. Uh, I don't really remember any good stairs in Fantasia two thousand, other than the ones that show up in Fantasia, which are the uh, Mickey Mouse. Uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice stairs. Those are the main ones. I could have sworn there was like a good staircase during the the whole like devils having their night of, uh, you know, terror and and mischief before the good Christians come and drive them away at the end of Fantasia. But uh, I don't think there's. I don't remember a good like stairwell up that mountain. I just I think it's just the mountain. So yeah, I I did like B, but it was on in the background. It wasn't like intently mm-hmm. watching the entire time um and then fantasia 2000 i really don't remember stairs other than the making the mouse i said it again <laughs> to make you laugh bit um are you into looney tunes at all yeah um um i was i very into the looney tunes as a kid um and so while you were talking i was just scrolling the wikipedia page for um Fantasia, because it just—I I am familiar with it vaguely as a cultural object, but I don't actually like haven't seen it since I was like four or something like that. Yeah. So anyway, I'm scrolling the 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 um page for Fantasia, and I did have to to stop myself from going Leopold, um, <laughs> which is just a dumb Looney Tunes joke that's been rattling in my brain for minutes now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just needed um, to get it out of my system. My, I really liked Goofy as a kid in terms of like Disney stuff, but then I was like huge into Bugs Bunny because this is a, a like perhaps little known knee fact for people. Uh, before my favorite animal was fox, my favorite animal was bunnies. So, mm. um, yeah, I um. I don't think I really liked um, many, like, silly symphonies stuff as much as I liked um, Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry as a kid. And specifically, like, Bugs and Daffy and then Tom and Jerry. Um, yeah. I was... I... Now, as an adult, I'm like, oh, actually, the, the, the Roadrunner cartoons, those are the real shit. But, you know, as a kid, I was like, I like Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Tom and Jerry is, uh, we've talked about Tom and Jerry before in this podcast, but Tom and Jerry is fucking excellent. Yeah, I um, I had like, earlier, um, I had like an indeterminate amount of time to kill as like you were like getting ready to set up and it was going to be like a little bit, but I didn't know how long. And I was, I ended up playing Katamari Damacy, but I seriously opened up HBO Max and like stared at Tom and Jerry cartoons for like five seconds. I was like, what if I just watched some fucking Tom and Jerry cartoons? <laughs> Um, what, which, which God, did you play Katamari forever? No, no, there's a, there's a remake of Katamari Damacy, um, like the very first game on, oh. on Switch or oh, not yeah. a remake, a remaster. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, speaking of another movie from 1999 with 2000 in the title, although M would like to point <laughs> out, I'm sure that the Japanese title does not have 2000 in it. Only the English title did and didn't come over to the U.S. until 2000. 
But you watched Pokemon the movie 2000. I figure people can listen to the podcast where you talked at length about Pokemon, but yes. you can at least rate the stairwell. Yeah, give a, give me $5 if you want more of my Pokemon 2000 thoughts, but um stairwells uh <clears throat> I will say um Gave it a B minus, which I think is a very nice, respectable score for this movie that I expected to get an F. Um, uh, Ash and his and the gang, <clears throat> pardon me, are in a boat, um, and then at some point the boat starts flying uh, for reasons I don't recall, um, and then it crashes into. They're like going to this island, and like there's a huge mountain on the island. And yeah. there's like a stairwell carved into the side of the mountain and the boat oh, crashes yeah. into the stairwell and then they run up and it's a whole thing. Um, so uh, the, the the boat rides up the stairwell a little bit. Um, it's good. It's a good time. This like uh, whole sequence is flashing into my brain as you're talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just like unlocked from my childhood watching yeah. this in 2000. Um. So yeah, B minus. Um, it wasn't amazing, but it's pretty solid. Yeah. <coughs> Forgive me, everybody. I keep coughing. I don't know why. I um. You haven't even I feel seen like me. I, you don't have COVID for me. It feels like one of those like I just smoked coughs, but I smoked eight hours ago, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I haven't been talking much because I've been alone most of the day. So, uh. Other thing, oh, I have two more things before we get back to you. Damn. Yeah, well, so you're going to talk about one thing, and then we're going to talk about something in general before we get to your next thing. Okay, okay. That's the start right. of our like general talk about the final little segment before we get into Ghost in the Shell, the thing that people are here for if they only care about Ghost Divers, Ghost in the Shell talk. <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, before we get into the like section that that other part <clears throat> um on the Criterion channel because it is leaving at the end of the month, which um I believe if you are listening to this it is too late to watch this on the Criterion channel, but um it's an Orson Welles movie. You can find it out somewhere out there on the internet. Um yeah. I watched uh The Magnificent Ambersons, um which is Wells' second movie, um his follow-up to Citizen Kane. Um, this is a movie that I have been aware I would probably like for many years, but I've never actually watched it because it's following up Citizen Kane. It can't possibly be as good as Citizen Kane. I, 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 I don't even want to know what it is. And there was all that studio interference you read about. And it's just like, I don't, you know, how it couldn't possibly be Citizen Kane. And I'm here to tell you two things. One, it's not Citizen Kane. It is not as good as Citizen Kane. Two, not as good as Citizen Kane is about the highest bar you could send. <laughs> and The Magnificent Ambersons is pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, if people are not familiar, um, it, it is a sort of similar premise, I think, in many ways to... Um, to Citizen Kane, where it is about this, like, extremely wealthy family and this extremely, like, shitty, awful, like, like, heir to the family fortune. 
uh, um, <clears throat> uh, the family being the Magnificent Ambersons, and um, it's sort of like framed around you, you know the turn of the twentieth century and the um, the advent of the automobile and how cars you know changed the landscape of America, and you see this like you know old money family in decline as um, this shitty child just like ruins his life ruins um his only relationship that is fulfilling like you know ruins his mother's life ruins his aunt's life um you just watch everything deteriorate around him and none of that is a spoiler because in the like first five minutes of the movie someone says i hope that kid gets what's coming to him someday (laughs) yeah <laughs> and you've seen Citizen Kane, so you're like, oh, I bet that kid's gonna get what's coming to him someday. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was a really, um, really fucking good movie. Just fucking fantastic. Um, I I thought a lot about um, like one of my favorite books is um. Wuthering Heights and um like this is like common throughout like gothic romance as a genre it's just that Wuthering Heights is like my frame of reference for this of like the house in the Magnificent Ambersons is very much a character just as much as like the people who live in it um and um like you sort of see um the opulence and the decline both reflected in this house in like really interesting ways. Um, and you see the way that like the opulence, like sort of could only ever have turned this family like against itself. Um, yeah, it it's, it's fucking remarkable. It's the follow up to citizen Kane. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, which is all to say that, um, also, also, um, movie's like 88 minutes long, and it's just like, god damn. <laughs> <laughs> it does so much. It, like, it, like, Orson Welles is working through, like, literally, it feels like every idea he could have, he's, like, putting into this movie, and it still wraps it up in 88 minutes. I just think it's really fucking good. Um, Anyway, the I was talking about the house specifically because I wanted to to rate the stairwell because you walk into the house and there is a massive like like four story um, spiral staircase that isn't just like a quick little twisty thing up, but it like whole sections of the home sort of curve as around this staircase that keeps going up and up and up and it's the most beautiful thing in the world and like you get all these sorts of conversations where like we start at the bottom of the stairs and we get heated and we walk up the stairs and keep talking or or, or people sitting on the stairs and reminiscing about the old times or you know <clears throat> one character is standing on the first floor and looking up at a character on the third floor and having a conversation all sorts of just Good shit in here. S for stairs. Thank you, Orson. Yeah. I knew you would come through for us. Um, People might remember these stairs because they also showed up in Cat People from 1942. Oh, Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the same set of stairs. 
Yeah, because Cat People just reused a bunch of sets that were used for previous films from RKO. Um, we did give Cat People an A+. I don't remember exactly what we said about it, but my guess is our boy Orson Welles would know how to take A-plus stairs and push them up into an S. Yeah, it's it, the, the thing is... The, the the stairs themselves are an A plus. It's the way that like he shoots them and he stages scenes on them that I think really elevates this. So uh huh. Um, um yeah uh, yeah. You sent me a bunch of photos of these stairs and like I didn't even do a good job of it because I was just like trying to keep watching the movie and so I was just like. I was just hitting print screen and then sending it to you. Whereas like if I was doing this for like episode art or even just like to look at later, I would like, you know, be kind of pausing and like, Oh, this is a good frame for it because that character's in silhouette in a nice way or something, you know? Yeah. Um, there's, there's like one that you sent me where, uh, there's sort of two characters in the middle of the frame, uh, like a, a man and a woman looking at each other. Um, and they're like right in the center and the stairs mm-hmm. are just kind of behind them. And I feel like that's how you usually see it in cat people. Whereas like yeah. there are just so many other ways that the stairs are being framed and like people are on them. And, you know, there's this great shot where there's like people dancing in the foreground and then like a woman sitting on the stairs in the background. You can just like see it going up behind her. Um, yeah. Just looks they great. Do, um. One of the things that people talk about in um, Citizen Kane so much is the way that, like, the 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 deep focus in that movie and, mm-hmm. um, like, the ways in which, like, you know, by the, by the time you get to the palace at Xanadu at the end and you just get these, like, <laughs> cavernous shots that make the mansion look like like Orson Welles is standing at the end of a 60 foot long hallway and you, you, everything is in focus. And, um, you know, uh, they use the deep focus to communicate like the emptiness. Whereas like this movie does a lot of the same stuff, but like that is, it is very like front loaded in this movie as like he does in the early parts of this movie, they'll throw a ball and there will be like four different, like, planes of like characters acting and like images happening that like it's remarkable how much like stuff he's packing into the these frames and then as the movie progresses like it just gets emptier and emptier and emptier as just like people die and everything falls apart you know yeah Um, it's really fucking good (laughs) um so we move on to our last little segment here yeah which is uh we you watched three movies and I watched one movie from the Arrow streaming service, which um I got you a gift for your birthday that's also a gift for me because yeah, I just s- signed up for Arrow and gave you my password and <laughs> <laughs> um that's how we do, but yeah. Yeah, so you have I I have it set up here where you'll talk about one and then I'll talk about the one that I watched. And then you have, I thought you'd only have one more, but then literally after I filled this out in the like two hours between me filling it out and then <laughs> us watching Ghost in the Shell, you watched another movie. So um, take take it away with your first of three movies here. Um. 
Uh, so I will say um, to start it off, like uh, one, I think like <clears throat> Arrow is like, you know, in my first day with it, I think it is totally like worth the money if folks are looking at it. Um, yeah, it's so much cheaper than every other streaming service. And they do have, I think, fewer movies than, say, Criterion Channel does. But um, the, I even it, noticed looking today that they have some, like, not a bunch, but they have a few films from Vinegar Syndrome, which is cool. Yeah, I thought that was cool. <clears throat> but they've got, like, fewer films than maybe some other streaming services. But, like, I feel like that balances out by it being cheaper, you know? And also, like, you're paying for the curation. You're paying for, like, you know... The 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 few movies that are going to be on there, all all of them kind of look interesting, you know. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it it's definitely like if you're not into kind of this like a little bit more schlocky cult movie vibe, um, you know, there's like range here because there's like kaiju stuff there, which you'll get into. There's like. Uh, kung fu movies like I will get into there's like more schlocky horror but it's kind of like that mix of stuff that you it to me looking at the the era streaming service and being like oh what am I gonna watch felt the most like when I would go into like the local video rental place and be like what weird thing am I gonna pick up on the shelf today to watch um this is like the closest that a streaming service in a while has given me that feeling so mm-hmm. um but it it is different. Like, if people don't have Criterion Channel, I would say that's like the first big, like, super worth it thing they get. But um, I feel yeah. like this is also close for me. Yeah. Um, and there was one other thing I was gonna say that was building off of something you said. Oh, the other thing I was gonna say. Yeah, while you, you think was I also feel like this is sort of a way for them to further fund like we're gonna try and preserve and put out like these movies and, right. and do like good Blu-ray stuff and then you know there'll be the Blu-ray release for a while and then we can put it on the streaming service. Um and they do the same thing that Criterion does where it's like features that are on the Blu-ray are also there. Like yeah. you'll go and you'll see like multiple like bonus things for multiple movies so um um oh yeah the thing i was gonna say is that like um people know my taste you've listened to this podcast i um this sort of stuff is just like i don't i dip my toes into it i occasionally watch really like schlocky movies but it's not my wheelhouse in the way that like my friend crass pants just like all day every day just watching you know the quote-unquote trashiest movies, um, and, like, um, I just, like, getting Arrow, it was just, like, in some ways, because there were, like, fewer movies than are on, like, an HBO or a Criterion channel, it was, like, well, shoot, I might just, like, press play on this. I don't really know what it is, but, like, you know, like, it looks kind of interesting, and if I don't like it, I can turn it off after 30 minutes, you know? You should watch the Batman parody porno that's apparently on there that I noticed while looking for a movie today. <laughs> Nora talk- wants to watch that real bad. I was telling her about it, and yeah, she was like, "We got to talk watch about that. that on talk about that on Gotham City Limits." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, 
Speaking of Gotham City Limits, I watched um, Gamera Guardian of the Universe, which if people want to hear a whole podcast episode about that, you could go listen to Your Uncle's Beach House, which is um, with M, my co-host of uh, Gotham City Limits. Um, I um, Gamera Guardian of the Universe is a the first um, Heisei um, Gamera movie, Gamera being the sort of non-Toho Godzilla competitor and the only one that had any sort of success all through the Showa era. Um, I have seen a bunch of Showa Gamera movies, mostly through MST3K, um, and I don't particularly like any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love Showa Godzilla movies with my whole entire heart. They're like some of my absolute favorite movies and occasionally you'll watch a Gamera movie and usually it'll have two moments that'll make you be like, oh, it's worth it just for that. But like generally I don't think the Gamera movies are worth watching other than, you know, MST3K did them and so you can like, you know, watch the funny puppets make jokes while you're watching lesser kaiju movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um <clears throat> but Gamera Guardian of the Universe um is way the fuck better than any of the Showa Gamera movies. <laughs> um it's 1995 and so like the 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 technology and, and all this sort of stuff has advanced and and also aesthetic sensibilities have changed so that like it's still like guys in rubber suits, but they just look a lot better than they used to. And the, the thing I kept thinking about is that like a lot of the Showa Godzilla stuff, like shoots from so far, like these really wide angles that are really like supposed to like, let you see the majesty of this creature. Whereas like the turning point that happens in the nineties, that is, um been true throughout most american and japanese kaiju movies since then is that like the camera's just gotten a lot closer to the kaiju so that you can like you know see shit a little better <laughs> yeah um and it you know it's just it looks gorgeous um the story is like good um the 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 thing that I think is really cool about Gamera Guardian of the Universe is the way that it's, like, it's sort of, for me, perfectly, like, it, like, perfectly balances a lot of things. It's, like, perfectly balancing, like, oh, it's just guys in suits versus, like, you know, turn of the millennium, like, digital stuff is in there. And it makes both of them look good. And it, like, perfectly balances, like, the the silliness of the guys in suits with the seriousness of the story, but the story is not over serious like a Shin Godzilla might be. Um, um, you know, it's um, it's just it it finds the sweet spot on so many things, and it in some ways I think is like a quote unquote like perfect kaiju movie. Like I, if someone wanted to watch kaiju movies and hadn't really seen them, I would definitely point them toward this because it has so many different things that i like about the genre in just the right right amounts you know so yeah um also (laughs) this is just weird (laughs) 
<laughs> I didn't intend to do this. Um, I um, just went to the Gamera Guardian of the Universe Wikipedia page and opened the page for the writer. I don't even remember why I did that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> only to discover that um, the same year that he wrote Gamera Guardian of the Universe, he also wrote Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> The yeah. movie we watched today? Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, also wrote, like, Dirty Pair and Mason Nukoku, a couple Pat Labor movies, and a lot of Dot Hack movies, apparently. But, um, yeah, mostly was just like, in 1995, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, a very silly movie where a turtle flies. Um, and Ghost in the Shell, a very serious movie about, like, what is life and death. <laughs> yeah. That, oh, that's the other thing that I wanted to say about Gamera Guardian of the Universe. Um, uh, I have always thought it's silly when Gamera flies. Um, the moment, the first moment and the second moment, too, where Gamera flies in this movie truly like i've never felt so overjoyed watching a sin watching a film just like yeah. the 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 endorphins that just flooded my entire body as gamera starts flying just totally overwhelmed me <laughs> yeah um sorry i sent you screenshots of the emails that we got while while you were talking yeah. so um it does look like there are no stairs, though. You mean there's not stairs in a movie about a giant monster that rampages through a city? <laughs> <laughs> no. I think there are a couple shots um, here and there where, like, some people walk on some stairs, but not yeah. any that made any sort of impression. Like, I think stairs are photographed in the course of this film, but I don't... It, it's an F. It's an F. Yeah. Um, the one that I watched today, uh, on Arrow was Executioners from Shaolin. I specifically watched, they have the, the dub as well, um, in addition to the, the original. And, like, if we were gonna watch something like this for stairwells, I would watch, like, you know, subs, this is the original language, like, original audio, um for something that I'm watching like in the background while I'm working, uh, putting on the dub was honestly a lot of fun. Um, I'm pretty yeah. sure that I, I first watched executioners from Shaolin, like as a VHS rental, um, <laughs> from a like local rental shop. Um, and you know, it was like cropped for SD TVs and it was an English dub and everything. Um, and, Obviously, the video quality was a lot better this time because it was like nice HD transfers of film and not a, <laughs> a VHS uh, that had been played multiple times by other people. Um, but yeah, it, it was fantastic just watching this. Um, and th this is the... I, I was watching it and then thinking about how we did um, Dragon Inn. Uh, not, not, uh, I, my brain was going to come drink with me, which I'm excited to get when it comes out, um, that Blu-ray, but, uh, I think that, like, Executioners from Shaolin is just, uh, 
it feels like a little bit more low budget than you know mm-hmm. Dragon Inn did. Um, there's a moment in particular where there's just like a drawing on the wall of like, ah, this hall goes back and there's like columns and more stuff back there. But it's literally just like a, on a platform, here's a drawing behind it. And I don't know if it was intentionally supposed to just look bad like that. Like if that was supposed to be like in universe, it's just a drawing of like, there's more space back there or what. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how much you've seen like Lau Karlung, um, martial arts stuff. I, I feel like a fair amount of it is there's like a basic plot, but a lot of mm-hmm. it is uh, a thing to just have like incredible fight sequences around. Right. So like I, all, all of the fighting is stellar, but I like a lot of the other production around it is fairly low budget, but in this like kind of charming way because the point of it isn't for like super nice sets. The point of it is for like the fights are good. Yeah. I, so I have not seen any of his movies from this time. Um, like, I'm just taking a quick glance at his, uh, like, the movies he directed. And, like, he was, like, directing or doing choreography, like, two movies a year all through the mm-hmm. 70s, you know? Um, and I have not seen those, but I know that, like, 36th Chamber, his next movie after that is, like, legendary classic i know that like um a diagram pole fighter is another like classic and the one the one of his movies that i have seen um drunken master 2 is one of my absolute favorite fucking movies (laughs) yeah um drunken master 2 isn't one of my favorite jackie chan movies isn't one of my favorite kung fu movies one of my favorite movies drunken master 2 fucking rocks (laughs) Um, it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, the part of the reason too why I picked this one is that I I think I remember seeing this one on VHS because uh, there's definitely plot points that I remembered that that come up. Um, and the other one is the stuff that I remembered is just like, man, when I watched this back in the day, I was not picking up as much like as intensely on the uh weird gender stuff that's happening in this movie. Because um, the basic plot of it is, um, so it's kind of like a, a fictionalized version of the life of um, Hung Siu Kwan, who was a Chinese martial artist during the uh, Qing Dynasty, um, and you know, sort of goes into um, his relationship with Wing Chun, who um, you know was like a noted female martial artist as well. Um, uh, okay, uh, sorry. When you were texting me about this earlier, I thought you meant Wing Chun the style, not Wing Chun the person, and so I was like, who the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so, like, the the basic plot of it is that there's this priest, Pai Mei, who you can tell is going to be, like, the big villain at the end of the movie because he has, like, super big bushy eyebrows and a really long beard and a bunch of, like, white hair. Like, every you know, his eyebrows and beard and hair is all white. Um, so you're like, man, that's a kung fu master. Um, and then also in typical Lao Kar Lung style, the very beginning of the movie is just, like, we're just in a weird red void and we're learning about... Pai Mei's, like, secret internal technique where he can, like, 
So he like sucks his genitals up into his body so that you can't hit him in the nuts, mm. basically. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then can like uh-huh. trap uh-huh. people's foot in there and then like drag them around, which is a move that he uses multiple Naturally. times in this. Um, yeah. And he can like internalize his weak point so that it's like basically impossible to hit him in a way where he will die. Um, and so a lot of the the movie is that like, you know, he kills a bunch of people and then. Um, uh, Hung Siu Kwan is like trying to get revenge and is like plotting revenge and it's this like really prolonged process of him like training so he can try and go and fight Pai Mei and this is lots of kung fu movies especially of like this Lao Kar Lung style is this where it's like there's someone that you have to defeat and most of the movie is like training to try and fight them <laughs> um, right and uh, part of what happens is that so um Hung knows tiger style, and then um, Wing Chun uh, Wing Chun knows crane style, and then they have a, a kid together. There's like a kind of weird scene where um, they're married, and she doesn't want to have sex with him, and she's using crane style so she can like crane style involves like really intense um, thigh muscles, and you can like hold your legs together really well so she's like doing that so that he can't spread her legs but then eventually he breaks through and it's kind of implied that she's just like impressed at his ability but also a little bit of like oh it's weird um yeah that was the part where i was like this is the most uncomfortable part of it but anyway they have a they have a kid um who i'm trying to remember his name um wending and they uh so they're like Basically, the father doesn't want him to learn tiger style, like won't teach him tiger style. And so then the mother is teaching him crane style, but that's like a feminine style. And so he's like Mm -hmm. dressed all girly throughout the entire movie, um, getting like teased for knowing this like girls fighting style. And then the basically the end of the movie, this is like full spoilers for it, but whatever. The whole point of it is to see the sick fights. The point of it is not like what how does this end? <laughs> right. <laughs> um Hong goes to fight Pai Mei and and dies because he refuses to learn crane style. He only uses tiger style. With tiger style, he cannot defeat Pai Mei. Um but then his son wants to then go get revenge overall as well as revenge for his father. Um and so then he finds his father's books about tiger style and learns tiger style, and his mom's like you have to like go and defeat him with tiger style. Um, and he's like, I will start with tiger style, but if I need to, I'm going to use the crane style that you taught me. Um, and so he's going through tiger style and it seems like he's going to lose. And then he switches to crane style and like jumps up on the, the Pai Mei's shoulders and like wraps his thighs around to like hold onto his neck. Um, so he can't get loose and then ends up ripping the top, top knot off hitting the back of the head, which is, like, one of his weak points that he was protecting. Um, and then that causes him to open his eyes, which is, like, the final point where he can, then like, stab his hands into his eyes um, and Fuck kill him. Yeah. So yeah. And so then he defeats them with a combination of crane style, which is the, like, jumping and stuff to, like, you know, get within this, like, striking range where he's holding, and then he uses the tiger style to, like, pull off the top knot and hit him in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so... By the synthesis of the like masculine and feminine styles, he's able to finally defeat defeat Pai Mei. <laughs> and I was like, "This is like, there's just like weird gender stuff happening here." Um, in a way that like, I don't, I'm not going to try and unpack all of it here. Um, but I think also some of it is going into like 
the yin and the yang are like associated with feminine and masculine energies. Um, and this being like, oh, in order to do it, like you can't have like all yang, you can't have all yin. You need this like uh, balance of the, you know, the energies. So it's also playing at some of that stuff. But um, as with most kung fu movies, the ultimate style at the end is the tai chi balancing of yin and yang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Turns out I know the ultimate style. <laughs> <laughs> Me and a bunch of old people. <laughs> um, um. Anyway, stairs A. Um, there's a there's not a lot of stairs in this movie, but there's a really long staircase that goes up to the temple where Pai Mei is, and so you get like having to fight up the stairs multiple times to get to Pai Mei, and then um, the first time that Hung goes to fight Pai Mei. Um, he decides to run away because he realizes he's going to lose and tumbles down the stairs and like Pai Mei like knocks a giant stone statue down to like go after him. And so there's this whole sequence of him rolling down with like the boulder rolling behind him basically. Um, so that's a great sequence. And then at the end it gets mirrored when, when um, the son defeats Pai Mei, then Pai Mei tumbles down the stairs rolling. Um, hmm. so, but like the stairs could have been a little bit more ornate. They could have shot a little bit better. Uh, so a, like it didn't get that, like push up to S, but I feel like they did use it thematically enough. So. Hell yeah. Um, your final two movies. Um, yeah. So, um, I, after Gamera guardian of the universe, I watched, um, Lady Vengeance, a.k.a. Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, the 2005 uh, follow-up from Park Chan-wook to Old Boy. Um, like I say earlier, I watched Old Boy a couple years ago, and it blew my mind, and then I just have never seen any more of his movies. You and M both say that Old Boy ain't shit, and so that makes me like kind of curious to revisit Old Boy, but in my memory, Old Boy is pretty fucking good. So Yeah, um, I, th- I think... I think the thing for me is I watched old boy and a lot of people like really talked up old boy, um, as being like, wow, this is fucking incredible. And then I watched it and I was like, Oh, this is just, this is just your first time watching a movie like this. Like, that's what that this makes is telling sense. me. That um, makes sense. I've just watched a lot of movies like old boy where I'm like, yeah, this is a good one. But like, there's so many movies that are just like old boy, um, in a way where it got talked up as like, wow, this is some like, huge like impressive new thing and i'm like eh like i've watched so many schlocky movies like this like it's a good one it's fun i don't know <laughs> yeah okay i got that makes sense because i came at old boy as like oh this is gonna be like a really like well executed artfully done schlocky movie that was how it was sort of sold to me you yeah. know um and i think it's that you know i definitely in the years since old boy, I have seen other movies that like remind me of old boy that come before old boy, but you know, um, so, so (laughs) I'll just jump ahead a little bit. I was watching lady vengeance, had a great time, really enjoyed the movie, really, really enjoyed the new movie. Need to say that before I say the thing that's I'm about to say is that I really enjoyed that movie. And also I finished it and I was like, Damn, Lady Snowblood's sick as hell, though. <laughs> yeah, really looking forward to watching Lady Snowblood when we get around to it on this podcast later. 
<laughs> I feel like probably I would watch Old Boy and be like, damn, Old Boy, good as hell. And yeah. he's Lady Snowblood, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, that's the thing. Now you've seen Lady Snowblood, so now you watch these movies, and you're like, yeah. I just, I just like, enjoy Lady Vengeance more than Old Boy. Like, these, oh, like, yeah. weird revenge things, if you just make it a female protagonist, I'm going to enjoy it more. I think is yeah, just that's kinda, where my brain's at. That was kind of my main takeaway from it, too. It was like, like, this movie... I feel like maybe I had the 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 flip of what of what I said earlier, or sort of what you were saying about old boy, where I I came into this movie being like, oh wow, all my friends really love this movie. All my friends keep saying old boy isn't shit, and this movie is like the real thing. And I definitely think this movie is better, but I wasn't like floored by it. I sort of understood everything that this movie, um, like, I understood the shape of this movie within the first couple minutes, you know? Yeah. And I think it's a really good one of these. I think it's really, really, really fucking good one of these. But I think I was expecting to have, like, I thought I was going to get to the end and be like, wow, that really, like, defied my expectations. And no, it's just a really good one of these, you know? Yeah. Um. Um. I guess I kept wanting, not to spoil Lady Vengeance, she gets to the end of the movie and she's like, was my quest for vengeance really worth it? I don't know if you've ever seen a revenge movie before, but she gets to the end of it and doesn't know if it was all worth it. (laughs) And I thought maybe I was going to, I thought maybe this was going to be the one of these that ends up being like, and no, actually vengeance was worth it. (laughs) Yeah. Um... But no, I I thought it was a really fucking good movie. Um <clears throat> I um I'd be curious to watch it a second time just because there was a little bit of like um you can tell that this is like his fifth, sixth, seventh movie, something like that. Like he's he's a little ways into his career doing this movie. And so you can tell that like there's some like tricks going on mostly with like i think the way that the plot reveals itself where it's like you get introduced to a character like sort of in media res and then it you know flashes back to that character 5 years ago um and then flashes forward and you're like okay but how is this person going to play into the plot now and you're you're like there's a little bit of like a puzzle you're trying to solve with the plot to where sometimes I got a little lost in all of that. But I think maybe that was more on me. And maybe if I was a little more attentive, I would have like understood all that. But like, ultimately, who cares? She hatches a like 13 year plan to get revenge and she gets revenge and it wasn't worth it in the end. And there were a lot of very beautiful shots along the way. Um, it was a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's really all I want is just like really nice visuals as I get told the same story I've been told in all of these movies. <laughs> um, the first stairs, I gave it an A. There's a really good sequence at the, toward the beginning of the movie. Um, this is like the early days of color correction. So it's like 
not overbearing, I think, and she's going down like a bunch of different like they're real world like on location stair stairwells, I think. But they uh, like in Seoul, um, or at least they look like them. But um, they're framed in all these weird ways that sort of make them look like M.C. Escherish, you know. Um, and then, and then, what really really got it to an A was that at the very like in the last five minutes of the movie, you then see her going up those stairs again, um, and it's good. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's like poetry; it rhymes. <laughs> Um, and then the the last movie that you watched, because you had to get movie. one more in. <laughs> I just wanted something on while I cooked. I was I made dinner tonight, and I just wanted something on while I cooked. Um, there were uh, a couple like spaghetti westerns on Arrow that I wanted to check out. Um, the ones that I wanted to check out all unfortunately only had the Italian language versions. Um, and Really what I want when I watch um, Italian movies is to see them badly dubbed in English. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> but, but also, like I say, I was cooking, so I couldn't watch the Italian versions. But they had um, the English dub of Django, um, the 1966 Sergio Corbucci movie. Uh, uh, I had not seen this movie since Django Unchained came out. Um and I watched it again today, and I liked it more, even more than I remembered liking it um, the last time I saw it. Um, you know, uh, famously, Sergio Leone got sued by Akira Kurosawa for just totally stealing the plot of Yojimbo. And honestly, I feel like Sergio Leone should have sued Sergio Kurbucci for just totally stealing the plot of Fistful of Dollars to make Django. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is the thing about uh, spaghetti westerns that I think, like, there's this, like, interesting thing that is happening where Kurosawa is watching, like, old, you know, golden age of Hollywood westerns from, like, John Ford or whatever, and then making samurai movies that are, like, drawing inspiration from that. And then some guys in Italy are watching Kurosawa and being like, damn, we should make some Westerns like that. <laughs> it's just like this weird cycling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it. the thing I said to you over a text earlier was that, like, um, I've seen a decent number of spaghetti Westerns before. I've seen a decent number of the, like, you know, 60s and 70s, like, American Westerns from guys like Sam Peckinpah that, like, introduce a lot more, like, gore and violence and, like, darkness um, into the genre that, like, at least Americans had never really, like, been putting into the movies before. Uh, and the thing is that Sergio Leone is just better than everybody else doing this in his era. Yeah. Like, Once Upon a Time in the West is just a better movie than anybody else at the time was ever going to make. <laughs> it's just, it's just better. <laughs> um, but I put on Django cause I didn't want better. I just wanted Franco Nera to roll into town, shoot some guys and roll back out. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. It's also a thing where like, 
some of it too for me with Sergio Leone stuff is that you get the Ennio Morricone soundtrack and you're just like, well, damn. <laughs> In a way that like, I'm not saying some of the other soundtracks aren't good, but it's just, it's not Morricone. <laughs> there's, there's, the Django soundtrack is remarkable because it's trying, it, it's 66. Like, let me, let me just pull up Fistful of Dollars real quick. Um, uh, 64. 64 it's so quick after because like the italian movie industry just like moved so quick at the time yeah. you know um like for a few dollars more is like a year after fistful um like and, and so rapidly you're already getting directors like just totally trying to steal uh Eddie morricone's thing you know yeah um and the the soundtrack to Django is totally fine. If you told me it was an Ennio Ennio Morricone soundtrack, I would have been like, "Huh, okay, it's not his best, but I I believe you, sure." Yeah. But um, there's just something that like no one else can like match him for. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he just has that. He just has something that no one else does, and I can't put it into words. But you know. Uh, good movie. Yeah. That's the thing is I do like it when these movies get um, a lot gorier as time goes on. So I'm excited to... They got a bunch of Corbucci stuff on Arrow that I'm excited to start working through because um, I want to see the, you know, more exploitative directions that he ends up taking the genre, I think. Yeah. Um... I guess we can get into the the main movie now. Although we didn't do one mess up last time, we didn't rate the stairwells and boys in the hood. Let's do that first. Oh, let me rate the stairwell and um, Django because this oh, will be yeah. super easy. Um, there is no scene on stairs, as far as I can tell. Like I say, I was cooking, but there is one nice shot that I looked over for where it's like Django just killed like six dudes in this bar, and then you have like. The stairwell, you have the camera sort of above the stairwell looking down. And so you get a really nice shot of the stairwell in the saloon. You get like a wide angle of all the dead bodies and and Django talking to the bartender. Um, It it was like good enough that I gave it a C, especially because Django like walks out of frame up the stairs. Um, That like you turn it on assignment, you know, you, you did what you were asked to do. Yeah. So. Um, so Boys in the Hood. Uh, Boys in the Hood. The main stairs, I remember this because I, I couldn't like get a really good still because the camera was moving too much uh, for the cover. So I went with them all on the porch where you can kind of see the stairs. Um, but there is the, I think the main stairs are the, in the like kind of dream sequence where Trey is lying to his dad about uh, the first time he had sex or whatever. Um, which is just kind of a weird thing to lie to your dad about, but, um, and there's like this, <laughs> the part where he like, you know, carries the girl up the stairs and then the, the grandma or whatever comes home and, and gets the knife and runs up. Um, so I think those are the stairs. They're not great stairs. It's not like no. that thematically important to the movie. Um, no. LA, not a lot of, not a lot of like 
stairs in South Central LA, so. Yeah. Obviously, there's, like, um, um, like, there's a lot of, like, porches, like we had in the, the, uh, art, but that's not quite, It's not a stairwell. No. It was a good image for the cover art, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like maybe a D, D plus maybe. Yeah. Mm, I think D. Yeah. You know, not a lot of stairs in South Central LA, but they could have done something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, our main movie, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Um, have you seen this movie before? <laughs> yes, I have. Um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite movies. I I enjoy this movie a lot. Um, like around that time when I was first getting into anime, uh, this was one of the first things that I watched. And like, I feel like I watched it not too lo- long after um, Akira. And I feel like uh, it's in like a, a similar space, I guess. Um, in my mind, at least like this, like higher production animation, um, that's based on a manga and is like kind of in this, like, um, sane in space, you know, this like mm-hmm. more adult focus space. Um, you know, it was also like talked about in that time of like, okay, here's like Akira where, you know, you got the, the weird, um, like, Whatever's going. Lem is just like was napping in the corner, and it was fine. And now it just keeps being like, "Let me in, let me out." Um, cats, I swear. Anyway, you know, it was talked about in the same space of like, "Oh, there's like boobs in this movie." You know, <laughs> there's like animated boobs in this movie that you can watch. That's that's like kind of how it was introduced to me. And then I watched it and I was like, "This movie is great." Um, and then I feel like I I. When I was, like, starting to figure out gender shit, I feel like the idea of, like, Major Kusanagi as the representation, quote-unquote, was, like, important to me in a, in a way that it's, like, not the, the same anymore. But also, it's hard for me to, like, think of this character without thinking about the... Especially this movie being the one that, like, set it up in my mind. The, like... The questions around, like, embodiment and selfhood and like what it means to be able to change your body that I don't think are like, I don't think this is explicitly transgender. And I don't think that in any of these, like in any work, I don't think it it is like, Oh, here's textual evidence that shows that the major is trans. That's not how I think about any of this, even at the time, but more like there's some sort of resonance going on here about like things going on with the body and being like, out of place with your own body or like having questions about like if your body changes, does that like change who you are? Things like that, that um, was very important to me. And now I watch it. I'm like, this is just a great fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Definitely the most like gender fuckage of all the movie, like ghost in the shell stuff. I feel like though, like the, the stuff that happens around the puppet master. um, There's just like, 
I think it's just talking in a more of a broad way about like what does what is like sex both as a, like a biological thing, like you know, biological sex, quote unquote, as well as like the act of sex. What does that mean when you have like synthetic bodies? Um, how does that complicate those things? How does that like push us beyond those things? But t- from more of just like this transhumanist perspective rather than like transgender. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, do you, do you want to talk a little bit about <laughs> you watching Ghost in the Shell and hating this movie yeah. and now watching it? And I think you gave it a five star on <laughs> Letterboxd just now. Okay, so... January 2020. Yeah. Probably like among like the, the 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 time in my life where I was just like lowest on the very concept of cinema. <laughs> um yeah. I just I just didn't want to watch movies. <laughs> and um our friends over at the Great Gundam Project were going to start doing standalone complex and I this is the other thing is that um, it, January 2020, I was one month into therapy. <laughs> February 2022, I am two years into therapy. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the, the things about therapy is that you uh, strip away a lot of lies you tell yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Like, for example, I'm totally going to keep up with Great Gundam Project. (laughs) (laughs) So, I knew that that, that Ghost in the Shell 95 did not necessarily connect to Standalone Complex, but I still thought it was important that it was like, this is a beloved classic movie, and even if it's not like, in continuity with the TV show, I feel like I should see that before I see Standalone Complex, a show that I watched half of one episode of and then did not keep up with uh, The Great Gundam Project. (laughs) (laughs) So I was kind of putting myself in this position where I was like, this is a beloved classic movie of, of, you know, well, people talk about how like smart and cerebral this movie is, talk about like <laughs> how um this movie is like uh, really like going deep and like serious on like our robots people <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and um which i don't even think what? that our robots people is the thing that this no. movie is about <laughs> no no i don't think so either but i watched i watched it with that and to me at the time this was just a movie where some really cool action scenes happen and then people said a bunch of conspiracy theory things that didn't make sense to me. Still don't really make sense to me on um, second watch. I still can't really follow the plot of this movie. <laughs> but the thing that I realized on second watch doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I... So... I feel like for a long time I have not really watched Ghost in the Shell and then Standalone Complex as, like, coherent things together, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, there will be times where I'm like, I'm in the mood for Standalone Complex, and then I will watch all Standalone Complex, 
Or there are times where I'm like, I want to watch the Ghost in the Shell movie, and I'll watch the Ghost in the Shell movie. But those like times do not closely coincide. Where I was watching it this time, having just watched a bunch of standalone complex because we recorded those before this stuff, being like, mm-hmm. wow, standalone complex is just like really, like I knew all the callbacks to the infamous her jumping off of the building scene but there's just like tons of little stuff to you that they're like referencing throughout standalone complex that are are in this movie uh, but then also i was watching this movie being like normally i don't pay any attention to the like weird government conspiracy stuff that's happening but so much of that is standalone complex and i'm just in that mindset now where i'm like oh yeah yeah this makes sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah all the um all the stuff around the like conspiracy theory and like section six was you know doing project 2501 to you know prevent a diplomatic blah 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 all of that did just make me think i'm like i wish i had a tv show where we could actually like sit down and someone yeah. will take the time for me to uh understand this but um this is an 82 minute movie and we are moving so fast and i don't think that even if i was really locked in i don't think i could follow this yeah it has a little bit of like the uh akira effect of like yeah if you've read the manga i'm sure you watch akira and you're like oh i know what's going on here they're like referencing stuff um it's not quite to the level of adolescence of utana but like Mm. it's a little bit like oh they're just like suddenly bringing up stuff that now i'm like oh yeah i have like you know, 50 episodes of an anime under my belt about, like, what does ghost mean? (laughs) What is section six? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So I'm sure when people get to the part that I'm recording with Connor, we'll be talking a lot more about, like, what's happening in this movie, but this is the difference. This is the difference between stairwells and divey. (laughs) Um, But, but, and, and... The the la- the last thing I want to say about the last time I watched this movie was that like the the sort of like philosophical like bent of this movie of like asking a lot of questions did not land for me at all last time. I was just yeah. like it it felt like it was just people sort of just like saying things to me that were supposed to sound deep and i was supposed to be very moved by it and none of it really worked for me one this time on second view like i've totally discarded this sort of notion that this movie is asking the question are robots people cuz one i don't think it's doing that two that's a boring question to ask three like this movie is so clearly building off of Blade Runner, and I don't even think Blade Runner is asking, are robots people? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> Blade Runner believes that robots are people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, one, like, a lot of the, the... I was able to rethink some of the, like, like, like philosophy-type stuff in this movie as a a little more generously as, like, I think this movie is much more engaged in like, what is the nature of life and death, you know? Yeah. Um, And like, let's abstract this out and we'll, we can sort of see that like our definitions of like what life is and what death is are not as simplistic as like, maybe we think they are. Yeah. Um, And then also also how does like, once you start getting like, once you start looking at life and death in this way, it then begins to call into question, like, what is the individual? What is the collective? Like, what is... 
if our definitions of life and death are getting like fuzzy in these ways, then it becomes hard to like fully conceptualize of like selfhood within that as well in this like old way of thinking about the self mm-hmm. is a thing that is alive and then dies. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps more importantly to, to me really clicking with this movie this time and important to like the difference between this podcast and, and um, ghost divers podcast is that I watched all the like like the major just like looks into the camera and, and says all these things about like the nature of like what is life, what is fear, what is you know um, memory, and, and how do we trust our memories and all these sorts of things. And I don't take it in as sort of like the the movie asking me these questions that I am supposed to ponder so much as like tone piece of just like i'm gonna go to the movie theater i'm gonna you know in this case like sit on discord and watch my movie and i am just going to get the vibes and the sort of aesthetic experience of like let's ask all these questions and then cut to like in this 82 minute movie like the shortest fucking movie ever like, <laughs> um, we are going to ask all these questions and then cut to like six unbroken minutes of just shots of a city with no dialogue. And, um, <laughs> I, I don't need the movie to be deep because I am just enjoying it as the sort of aesthetic experience. And part of that aesthetic experience is these questions being asked and then be given like, the most beautiful animation of rain as I don't actually <laughs> contemplate those questions, but instead just appreciate the images in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Some of, some of this, sometimes I watch this movie because I am like, Oh, I want to like dive a little bit into some of the things that it's talking about. But honestly, I think that standalone complex as a show, because there is more space to like one develop characters and also develop themes like that first season Um, I feel it can take things that are like a little piece of this movie seems to be gesturing at and then being like, okay, like here's an entire episode. It's the second episode of the show. It's one of my favorite episodes of any TV show ever where it is this creator who's like, you know, part of this sect where, uh, or as like his parents are at least where, um, they don't believe in any cyberization and he has like a terminal illness. Um, And so he has this thing of like, hey, when my body dies, but my brain is still like not fully dead yet, my body is technically died. And so like I am like free of like my parents' religious beliefs uh, around death. And so please take my brain and put it in this like tank. Um, And I want to like be in the body, like be embodied as this tank that I built. Um, Mm -hmm. And then having it be like he's just trying to go to his parents to like see his parents and be like, Hey, this is who I like. This is the body that I have now. Um, and that can just be like, let's explore some of these themes, but in this like more concise way where it is an episode and they can break it out and then they can have entire other episodes that are dealing with like, okay, what does this mean? If like, right. Blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas here, all of it is happening. Like, like they're gesturing at so many things that I think, can be interesting with this setting and these ideas 
but it's 88 minutes. And so like the, or it's not even 88, is it? It's shorter than that. 82 minutes. (laughs) It's 82 minutes, but then also it's an animated movie. And so like five minutes of that is credits. Yeah. It's a short movie and Um, it gets so much done in that time. (laughs) Yeah. But then, so, so much of like, often when I want to watch this movie, it's not because I want to think about all of these things. It's, it's that I want to have a movie that just gives me the vibe of like being kind of depressed in this way where you're overanalyzing your own brain. (laughs) Yeah. And this movie gives you that vibe really, really well. the, The, the only way that like, what I really want to do is I want to like go watch this movie at the music box with you. And then like, you know, just like walk home and like have a cigarette and just like, not speak to each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and hopefully, ideally, you know, because it's probably a night screening, so it's like nighttime. Hopefully, mm-hmm. ideally, it starts raining as we're walking yeah. home. That would be the best. Yeah. Just, mwah, chef kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's... <laughs> the The movie just, like, works for me so well as, like, pure vibes machine, and I feel like that... <laughs> Maybe makes it sound like I'm, like, putting this movie down a bit, like, because I do think it has this reputation as, like, a very, like, thoughtful and, like, um, you know, like, smart movie. And I think it is those things, but I don't know. I just think of this so much in the category of, like, Tokyo Drifter, where it's just, like, give me a, give me a mood for for this amount of time and, you know... Like, I just had a great time engaging with it on that level, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing um, <clears throat> that I wanted to say is that I'm glad that this came, uh, you know, that just by sheer coincidence, I, like, you know, watched a bunch of old noir movies um, before revisiting this because I think this is totally in conversation with, like, that sort of movie of just, like, you know... Um, I, I I go first to Chinatown because it's like a seventies epic movie uh, th- that has like a much grander scale than a lot of like older noir movies do. But there, it had been done before Chinatown, where Chinatown has a sort of like conspiracy plot that is like so dizzyingly complex that like the viewers get lost, the characters get lost, like. Everybody is lying about so many different things that it is sort of, like, hard to pin down what anyone's motives are at any point. And, like, um, <clears throat> Chinatown gets there through scale. Um, Ghost in the Shell, I think, gets to a similar space through sort of, like, gesturing at, like, oh, Section 6 wanted to avoid a diplomatic incident by blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um... And that was just a thing that, like, that's just a feeling that I enjoy. And, you know, like, I was kind of impressed by how much this movie, like, gets to that place in just such a short time, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll see when we get to the the Ghost Diver section here, because I know that, like... So for people who haven't heard these episodes yet, but we've recorded most of them, uh, for second gig, I just pulled synopses from the internet um, because I thought it was kind of interesting how much those focused on like, here's all the like 
stuff going on between different sections and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's all the, like, political maneuvering of the show, which is extremely in the show, but it's not what I'm, like, interested in. Um, and so I was kind of interested in just pulling the synopses, reading through them and being like, okay. And then the part that I'm interested in is like this, this little facet that they don't talk mm-hmm. about at all. <laughs> um, so, and I feel like Connor leans a little bit more in, into like, I like the political, uh, you know, maneuvering and everything that's happening. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll get there and Connor will be like, okay, I have thoughts about what's going on with section six. I don't. For me, all of that is like backdrop for um, one. This, I think, a key part for of the major as a character for me that comes up here and and also comes up throughout the show. But I think like her relationship to it is a little bit different um, between this movie and the show. Um, but it's like specifically that she has this fully cyberized body where like basically the only part that's like quote unquote you know human um, is her brain. And that's the thing that she even questions here of like, do I even know if that's true anymore? Because like nobody sees their own brain. Like maybe there's not a brain in there. I don't know. Um, And a thing that gets talked about here and that also sometimes gets talked about in the show is like, they have these uh, incredible bodies, but these bodies come at the, like, like they are owned by the state. Uh, they mm. are so completely owned by the state because like her entire body, like basically her entire selfhood is owned by mm-hmm. the state. Um, she is, is given this body because it like enables her to do these things. And I think the, the major difference that I see is that um, the major in this movie seems to be far more uh, apprehensive or um, like uncertain or, or struggling with this, like, I have this body and I, I kind of feel trapped in having this body, even though like it seemingly gives me all of these like liberties because having this body necessitates that I be like a, a instrument of state violence. It's like the only way that I can continue to be the person who I am. Um, and in standalone complex, she is just like, yeah, like she fully identifies with like, I am the boot of the state and I, like this is who I am. Like she likes that power. She likes you that it, what well, like the power that she gives, uh, that that gives her. Um, and I think there are some hints in like the first season where she's like sort of questioning it. And there's like brief moments in, in second gig where she makes some comments about it. Um, but like for me, some of the, the people will get to the second gig discussion that we have, but some of the failure of second gig for me is the fact that there's like, areas where that story could pull at that specific vector of, of who she is of like this questioning around my entire selfhood is owned by the state. Like I have to be this person or else Mm. I like cease Mm -hmm. to exist. Um, and doesn't actually use it in moments where that would be an interesting internal conflict for her to have. Um, and that's one of the things I really like about this movie is that like, it's sort of one of the core conflicts is her being like, um, and, and also, like, the end of this movie specifically being through this interaction with the puppet master and this, like, blending of the selves and this creation of, like, the new child of the, the two of them that inhabits the, you know, child body. Um, mm-hmm. Obvious symbolism there is, like, in some ways, like, given some sort of freedom away from, like, who she was before because now it's just some black market, like, chassis that Bato found. Um Right. And so, like, that's what I find particularly interesting in this movie, and that 
you know, Connor and I have been talking far more about these themes, so I might get into them more later. <laughs> but um, it's one of the one of the parts I enjoy about this, and uh, I guess in terms of like all of the stuff that's happening with Section Six and whatever, it's kind of just this backdrop of like, yeah, like all of this political maneuvering and all of this like espionage and everything is like what our entire world is, and some of the the end of this movie is like the potential of trying to break out of that in some way. Um, even if that means like a loss of the self that you once believed you have, like some of the questions around it is like, am I no longer me? If I, if I break myself away from like these systems that, uh, of like society that I exist in and that are like limiting who I can be, like perhaps I do change, but also like, the is the changing self still like a worthwhile self i guess and it's mm-hmm. it's why this movie in particular like resonates the most strongly with me for like actual trans feelings that i have <laughs> um even though i don't think that's what this movie is talking about it i i still like feel some sort of weird kinship around that so um anyway yeah i um <clears throat> i think my first time through this movie like read a lot of that like read a lot of that stuff as like oh this movie is just throwing at me wouldn't it be fucked up if you couldn't trust your own memories and it's just like or like even even less generously than that oh this movie is throwing at me man wouldn't it be fucked up if like you know how do you know that your memories are your memories isn't that fucked up you know and I don't I think this movie's doing a little bit of that, of like, you know, how can you, like, if, if self is the perception of self, what do you do when you start doubting yourself? Um, I think I, the thing that struck me this time was how much, like, you know, you know, Bato has that line, like, once you let the doubt in, it doesn't, like, ever leave, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but, like... This time it just struck me how much of the majors, like, that doubt that she starts to feel is not just motivated by, like, you know, I have this cyber body and, like, how do I trust the cyber body um, that is, like, sort of reflected in the, you know, the criminals she apprehends at the start. But, like, also her her cyberized body being literally owned by her employers mm-hmm. <laughs> you know is the other motivating thing there which like that, that one <laughs> like that is a more interesting motivation and and two that is just something that almost like i could imagine that happening <laughs> yeah in my lifetime <laughs> i'm just like people having bodies owned by their employers in many ways we do have bodies owned by our employers i have to be at my employer to get like health insurance to get the medicine that i need you know yeah yeah it's just like so much so much of ghost in the shell the parts that really work for me work for me because yes there's stuff that is talking about like the actual and i I think in a smart way that a lot of sci-fi doesn't the actual dangers around like sci-fi concepts of like these full body cyberization and things. Um, and in ways that aren't fully like being a cyborg ghost in the shells, never like being a cyborg is a bad thing to be, but it is like, there are, um, 
there are new problems introduced by this that we need to like think through um is i think i think a common part of it um which i also appreciate because being like full cyberization is bad is like gets into weird disability Mm. stuff um i i think it like does that really well um but the other part of this for me just like i kind of lost my train of thought in there what was Um, i even talking about Um, cyberization your employer owning your body Oh yes so the other part that i like why it works for me is like any good sci-fi a lot of it is talking about like realities of the world you know in 1995 in you know 2000 whatever when they were making standalone complex um like talking about your employer owning your body is also just talking about like what is it like to exist in a current capitalist state like everybody is to some degree owned by their employer um not to this like extreme but you you Mm -hmm. make it an extreme because it allows you to like further talk about those those issues right um Um, Lemon's distracting me so much. He was napping so nicely right in the corner, that little like <laughs> pillow area that I, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, mm. And now it's just like complete menace. So I've been really distracted since he started doing that. I'm sorry, everybody. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I have a pivot if like, w- yeah, you if, sh- if we need one, you should pivot. <laughs> um, th- but so all that is a sort of like ghost diver stuff i just want to talk for a minute about how this is like maybe the most beautiful animated movie ever made (laughs) yeah um i i I might be hyperbolizing a little bit i just the the very specifically 1995 mix of like you know lavish and torturous hand animation that i'm sure like people pulled long hours to do and really goofy digital effects yeah (laughs) it's so good um yeah the the digital effects in particular just like i was saying while we were watching it that it's funny that standalone complex is also like nope this is just what uh digital this is just like what computer interfaces look like in this world um they do some things slightly different, but like you still get those little arrows going around on city streets. That's just, that's just what maps are in the ghost in the shell universe. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. I love it. Um, and yeah, the, like, I feel like Akira is like more technically impressive in some ways, but I, I feel like ghost in the shell, like hits so well for me. Um, like, because I think there's some stuff that's maybe not quite as technically impressive, but it's still like, we did this really incredible painting and then we're doing some like animation of rain that I'm sure you can repeat, but it still just looks really nice. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is just going to hit for me more, I think, than some of the stuff in Akira. Um, also the, the, like... We haven't talked about the cyborg body horror in this, but there's so much and it's, it just like yes. really works well for me. Um, but we should talk more about that, but I did just want to say quickly, like just on like a purely technical level, I was talking the other day about like, um, 
this is a thing that like Ghibli movies do a lot and lean into. This is a thing that like Batman the Animated Series does a lot and just like kind of hopes you don't notice or care. But like a very like common animation thing is like the especially of this era is like a mixture of like paintings that are not going to move and like you know pencil drawings of things that are going to move you know Mm -hmm. and so like you know you might get this like beautiful painted like room with a door drawn in pencil so that you know you can quickly draw like the door moving more easily yeah um and you know the way that like ghosts in the shell I think maybe it's also because it's 1995 and you can, like, do a little digital trickery to, like, mask it. Just the way that, like, the, the, the paint, like, background paintings mix with, like, actually animated elements. I just, like, you can't tell where the seams are. And, like, it's a thing that, like, my eyes are just trained to do because I watch too many fucking movies from this time period. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's just something I'm, like, tuned into. And I cannot see the seams in this movie so so often, you know? And it's really fucking cool. Um, There there was one in particular that got me that was, like, you cut to, um, like, these police snipers who are like waiting for something and those would normally be like guys who are drawn so that you could like show them like shifting or something but they were actually like paintings that specifically looked like they were drawn so that you could shift them around <laughs> yeah. it's just like oh my god <laughs> um yeah i mean i think i'm debating on if i'm gonna like change the overall season art for for the season or just kind of leave it and then do individual episode art but like the one that i have planned that i put for our intro is just the early scene of like the brain case being put into the body um because the the like art and just vibes of this movie are impeccable Mm -hmm. um like we will be doing not you and i but Connor and I, uh, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence next, which uh, does use some CG animation and is, like, for things outside of just uh, computer interfaces, and it is uh, I think, like, does not have the same seamless quality. There's a certain charm to it, but it is not uh, like, as impeccable of an animation as this one, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is just, like, Every time I watch it, I'm just blown away. And that also happens with Akira. People can go listen to me wax poetic about it. But, like, for some reason, when I think of, like, some of my favorite best animated movies ever, this is the first one that comes to mind. Um, Yeah. This movie just looks so good. um, Do we want to talk a little bit about cyborg body horror? Um, yeah, um, so the best part of Akira is every time, um, like, Tetsuo's arm, like, reforms itself into awful new shapes, um, and... (laughs) 
clearly someone was just like, hey, what if we did that? But there wasn't any squashing and stretching. And so you just had that sort of shit happen to a regular body. Yeah. Wouldn't that be fucked up? <laughs> um, and then sometimes someone says, well, what, we could make it even more fucked up and horrific to look at if we didn't have any blood. <laughs> yeah. There was just wires coming out. We could get away with so much more. Yeah, um, it's it's incredible. I like part of it strikes me so much too because so we have the whole sequence at the beginning which has the you know main theme over it of like putting together the body of the major, uh, which also just has all of these like shots of like a body splayed open, almost like anatomical stuff, but it being this like cyborg body, um, mm-hmm. and then we like throughout the rest of the movie continue to see bodies be ripped apart including the major at the end um becoming like similar to the the broken apart body of the puppet master um that got run over by a car um and Mm. just like like that that scene of her just like ripping her own arm off trying to tear open the tank um is just like burned into my brain (laughs) it's it's the cover art for this episode for a reason yeah it's really fucking good yeah um and it's so interesting because it like falls into this realm of um at once being horror about like like being standard body horror as well as um this horror about like the body that is also not like quote-unquote human um, in this way that's like fascinating to me. Um, well, like, and, I don't... and also, you go. Oh, I was gonna say, like, I don't have like a final like read or take on it, but just this, like, I don't like this, this way that, like, oh, here's this body that is like not human, and yet we are going to like tear it apart in very human ways. Um, mm-hmm. and in ways that like then really play into this, like, concept of a, objection like the it is like at once the revulsion of um you know part of like abjection is like oh if like your finger were to get cut off for example um there's something strange and bizarre about like the cut off finger because it is like a part of you that's no longer you uh which is like thematically relating to some of the stuff that are talking about in in the like movie and everything. Um, but then it's also doing that where it's like, ah, but like even from the beginning, like it's just wires in there and gears and things. Um, yeah, it's just like, Mm. it's just abjection all the way down in a way that's delightful to me. (laughs) Well, unlike, um, I know doesn't have shit. (laughs) (laughs) There's also just like a, 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 highly gendered element to it too that's like super interesting of the way that like you came to the anime movie because you wanted to see like the major look sexy and you've gotten to see her tits just hanging out the whole movie there's a way that like there's a lot of titty in this movie and none of it is like sexy it is so cold and clinical um you know yeah but you got your like sexy anime lady she's got her tits out and now we're going to show like every muscle in her body grow six sizes yeah <laughs> in a like way that is 
human bodies don't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this movie is like the gender of this movie like, you know, the gender happening in this movie is so is so interesting and bizarre because it's it's things like oh, here's like a a broken apart female body, you know, on display mm-hmm. in like this lab. Um and then someone comes in and starts saying like he him <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then it speaks, and it's just like a male voice actor. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, we get the part where the the major like connects with the puppet master, and then like her body is speaking with his voice, and then like his body is speaking with her voice, and just like this weird. Um, again, Anna doesn't have shit because it's like some of the stuff at the end is like oh, okay, this is talking about like men and women and like the the uh we get the puppet master as like male and kusanagi is female to like push at this idea of like a new form of reproduction between like minds in this you know cyberspace area but none of it feels like this like weird essentializing stuff um it's just like no like this is just like a new thing that's happening there's no part of this that feels like it has to be a man and a woman um Mm -hmm. you know like it it has like strong t for t vibes to me (laughs) 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 um yeah and then you know we even get like her half destroyed face sitting in the water like the end of end of evangelion and i'm like this is just so much better (laughs) 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 this is just such a better like look at the way that people relate to each other and and you know weird outcomes out of that (laughs) fuck Eneveva Connor's not here to say shit (laughs) fuck Eneveva the movie's pretty trash yeah um but yeah I just like I don't know. This movie's just got like the best vibes that you could ever ask for in a movie. <laughs> yeah. There's one place where the the vibes could be a little bit better, which is which is the stairs. Stairs could be better. Yeah, we get a a few like decent shots of stairs, but none of them feel that important or significant. The the one that I would make an argument for is even still stretching so the major like runs or flips up a really nice set of stairs trying to escape the tank and then the tank like fires um like chasing her and like shoots up this like sort of like world tree that has like a bunch of different species names on it and like um has hominus at the top like man as like you know the the most perfect realization of like what the world is or something um yeah. is like what this inscription on the wall and even here i am talking more about the the the, the wall behind the stairwell than mm-hmm. the concrete stairwell <laughs> yeah <laughs> to so i would I maybe feel like a C minus. I feel like it's not so dire that I want to give it a D, but like I, I could be convinced. Yeah, I feel like a C minus is is good. It's it's better than like D stuff, but um. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you know what's uh, nice about animation? 
Hmm. I was just pulling up the the video and then I just like paused it so that I could get a screenshot of her going up the stairs for the cover art um for this version for the the uh ornate stairwells version. Um and there's not motion blur cuz it's animation. It's not a camera <laughs> whipping up some stairs. <laughs> That is definitely the hardest thing about getting um, stuff to do art of this podcast is that like sometimes you're like, oh, that looks really good in the movie. But when I have paused the movie, now I see that that actor like his hand is a smudge and like his face is making a weird expression because he was like halfway through delivering a line. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I'll get a good shot of these stairs, but because that'll probably be the cover. Um, right. It's just her like flipping up these stairs, but um, yeah, it's it's no, it's no magnificent Ambersons. No, no. Um, um, I in the middle of saying Ambersons was like, is it Andersons? I feel like it's Ambersons. It's Ambersons. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think Man, I think that's, that's it. It's a good fucking movie. Um, uh, next time we are gonna watch Sweet Sweetback's badass song, and um, I'll be talking about fourteen movies that I watched in seven days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have questions. That's the one other. We have thing. questions. Um, do you want me to read these? Yeah, go for it. You okay. sent them to me, but I didn't actually like process them. Yeah. Um, so the first one here is from Crystal. Crystal says, I don't know if this changes over the course of the manga, but reading the first volume of Ghost in the Shell blew my mind because it's practically a gag manga and the major might as well be, uh, um, part of the dirty pair. To me, this made the 1995 film hilarious. Like someone made a very serious contemplative film about Garfield. What gag comic would you like to see adapted into a very serious anime movie? I, uh, before I actually answer the question, um, I will. <sighs> Shiro is a really bad mangaka. Yeah. To, to where it kind of amazes me that like he has produced so many classics because <laughs> like every time I look at his stuff, I'm just like, you've never heard of sightlines in your life, have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a fucking luddite, and I know more about composition than you do. I feel crazy when I say that, but I just like look at Shiro pages and I'm like, I don't know. <sighs> anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have not read uh, the Ghost in the Shell manga or the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex manga, although um, I do have copies of them now and I'm probably going to try and read them before the question bucket for this this whole uh, arc of things we're doing. So, um, But yeah, I have seen parts from the Ghost in the Shell manga and it does just seem a lot goofier than this movie. Um, and honestly, a lot goofier than standalone complex. So... Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what gang like gag manga would I want to see adapted into a very serious movie? People, you you all know me. You listen to my podcasts. Uh, of course, it's going to be Cromartie High School, and of course, I want it to be a serious Yakuza movie. <laughs> Just who I am. There's a you could do a a, a serious version of um. 
Yotsuba that just ends up fucking sad as shit. Ooh, I don't know if I want that. I don't want Yotsuba <laughs> no. to be sad. No. No. You don't want that. Um, um like a serious like Azumanga Dayo, I could I could do, which is, you know, same Angaka. I But like you know I could do be... Azumanga Dayo. Because it's like <laughs> it's like high school girls, and I could like give me a sad movie about like like the end of the show is kind of sad because it's just about like you know graduating and like realizing that all of your friends are not going to be your friends anymore because you're just going to mm. go different places. And if you just made a really sad movie about that feeling, that would be good. But I don't want I don't want Yotsuba to be sad. That's my <laughs> that's just like my toddler right there. Don't. No. <laughs> I I looked over at my shelf and I had another idea, which is um like you know, I can't think of it I can't think of an example, but sometimes you see like a thing you like get adapted and you're like, Really? They got that guy to direct it? And that guy takes it in like a totally different direction than you ever would have thought. Yeah. Um, I glanced over at my shelf and I suddenly could see before me the, the Takeshi Miike version of, um, Delicious in Dungeon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's about this, like, group of adventurers committing grisly murders and, like, <laughs> like, tearing apart these animals for food and, like, yeah. you know, barely able to survive. You, like, you need what? him to do, uh, like, Ichi the Killer with this and not a Phoenix Wright with this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. <clears throat> I totally, like, backwards reminded myself of something because I, I had him on the mind, on mind a little bit today because the audition is on Arrow. Yeah. Um that's not one of my I favorites jumped... by him, but it's it's alright. I actually uh I've only seen one or zero of his movies, so um that will be fixed before the end of the year, but um Yeah. Anyway, my mind bounced around between a bunch of different things. Um to where I landed on the thing I wanted to ask you about. There are two Kitano movies on Arrow that are leaving at the end of the month. The thing about Arrow that is a, a struggle right now is that I keep seeing things on there that I'm like, I can't watch that because I have to watch it with Nia. Because <laughs> yeah. it's Stairwell's core. <laughs> um, is it alright if I watch those two um, 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 Kitano movies without you? Because, like, one, it's not Hanabi. It's not the one that you really, really want to watch together. And two... What? Which ones are Avatar. they? This is important. Um, let me pull it up. I I think I have the names in my head, but I want to make sure I have it right. Um, Kitano. Um, Boiling Point and Violent Cop. Okay. Um. Yeah, you you can watch these without me. There's those are his first two. Um, they're. I feel like those ones are like a good intro to like what starts happening when we get to like Sonatine and Hanabi and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the one thing is I would say, wait a moment. Cause we might hang out later this week and we could just watch one of those. If we wanted to watch one of those, we'll see what oh, we want to yeah. watch, but, um, yeah. yeah. 
For some reason, I, when I, I researched... think if we watched one together, I would want to watch Boiling Point. So feel free to okay. watch Violent Cop first. Okay. Um. For some reason, when I searched Kitano on um, Arrow, it brought up all the Battles Without movies. Not all of them, but like two of them specifically. Does he start showing up in those as they go on? Um. Or is it probably just showing up because it's under Yakuza and... It might be because of Yakuza. I don't think he's in this. Yeah. That would be really anyway. cool. Because I know there's like I know there's like one um Battles Without movie that's from like the nineties or two thousands. It would be really cool if like we got Kitano for this one. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I haven't seen a lot of Kitano movies, and that's kind of true. Like there's just a point where I haven't seen a ton, but like I'm looking at this list, and I've seen Violent Cop, Boiling Point, uh, uh, Scene at the Sea, Sonatine, Kids Return, Hanabini, uh, Hanabi, Kikujiro, um, I think I saw Brothers, and um, I've seen Takeshi's. So I've seen a lot of his movies. I sometimes think that I haven't, but I have. The thing, the thing is, you get to some of these directors who, like, Kitano's put out, like, 20 movies or something like that. I have this with Spielberg sometimes where I've seen like 15, 20 Spielberg movies, but he's made like 40 of them. And there's a couple like of his classics that I haven't seen. So I'm like, Oh, I haven't seen many Spielberg movies, even though like, no, I've seen a lot of them. It's just that he makes a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I feel like we answered that question. I'm I'm gonna think of like additional ones for when I answer this with Connor. But um, mm-hmm. I figure with Connor and I, Crow High is gonna be a given, so we can move yeah. on from there. Um, I don't want a serious Heathcliff movie. Don't give me a serious Heathcliff movie. Um, second email. This I one, don't even know what that is. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. Um, Heathcliff's just funny. Second email comes in from Zhuo. Uh, this one also starts with, in all caps, Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> question one. In the same way that Anno directed Winnie the Pooh, which famous children's cartoon would you want Oshi to direct? I feel like this is similar in vain to, to Christmas. V- variations on a theme. Yeah. <laughs> um... Okay, so the thing that I like about The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh is that that is just a pure vibes. You just put that movie on and it's just vibes. It's vibe town. Yeah. Um, This is also the thing that I like about... um, uh, (laughs) I I gotta step ahead of myself. I gotta slow down. (laughs) Um, This is also the thing I like about Ghost in the Shell. So I wouldn't be opposed to Oshi doing a, like pure vibes um winnie the pooh movie and (laughs) then i thought of like oh what's the serious version of winnie the pooh oh obviously it's oshi directing um the Tao of pooh in the day of (laughs) (laughs) i was going in like a slightly similar direction with what does that look like which is like the plot being like pooh eats so much honey uh, and it's like the thing where Pooh talks about um, in the the I think it's in the the like 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie of 
um, you are what you eat. And so if I eat a bunch of honey, I must be honey. And so it's this like question of selfhood of like, if I've eaten so much honey, at what point does like my selfhood end and the honey begin? Um, and like, what is the like blending of like the self and honey? Um, <laughs> just, just lengthy shots of like poo staring at the beehive being like, so if I, if I am the honey, <laughs> And the honey is produced by the bees. Am I the bees? What is that? <laughs> Am I a product of the bees? The bees Am create me. Am I one me. with the bees? <laughs> <coughs> Do the bees rely on me? Or am I mere, like, tool of the bees? <laughs> um, yeah. I think winning the poo's the one. I... Like I can't think of another. I think I think I think Pooh Bear contains within him a sort of contemplative capacity that I think Oshi would um, seize on. Yeah, you know. Um, I say this as a person who, like, my actual like other favorite um, Oshi thing is the Pat Labor OVA, which is just seven episodes where some cops like are mildly incompetent and do hijinks. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean, apparently same scriptwriter, so. Yeah. Weird. Well, no, no, no. So that's weird because Pat Labor the OVA is very silly. Oh, yeah. And then I forget what Pat Labor the movie is, but I know that Pat Labor 2 is like, is like the characters standing around being like, the Americans have moved the nuclear we- missiles to to the coast of California. What does this mean for the sort of existential like threat to to um, Japanese nationhood? Like, yeah, <laughs> that sort of movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't actually know what that movie is, is about. I just know it's people being very like serious about states and nationhood. Yeah. Um. God, what would be a children's cartoon that would have stuff about states and nation? Avatar. Moving on, what would be the Digimon <sighs> of the main characters of Ghost in the Shell? Autumn, you gotta help me out here. I don't know Dean Digimon. I, I Joe, you know I don't know Digimon. I don't know fucking anything about Digimon. We don't know Digimon. Okay, uh what Agumon. would be the Pokemon of the main characters of Ghost in the Shell? <laughs> Guillemon. <laughs> um, um, the major. What okay. Pokemon would the major have? Let me let me pull up a Pokedex real quick. I'm just gonna, cause I I feel like if I don't pull up a Pokedex, I'm just gonna be like, uh, Pikachu. <laughs> yeah. But if I just look at some Pokemon, if I just get myself in the right mind space, the major. Um, I was gonna say Mewtwo, but I think it's actually Mew. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Because she's all about, like, her, like, some of this is me, like, also bringing in standalone complex major, but, like, her, like, superiority, her, like, greatness of being, like, I was able to get Mew, I think is part of it. But then I think it's Mm -hmm. also the thing of, like, no, people think that Mewtwo is the stronger one, but truly it's Mew, even though Mew is, like, unassuming. That's, like, part of the major's, like, approaching standalone complex to, like, Yes, she could, like, upgrade to, like, a, a quote-unquote stronger male chassis, but, like, there's actually, like, some power in, in this, like, feminine body that might be more unassuming to people. Um, so I think it's Mew. 
Uh, I think it's Frogadier. Yeah. I have to look this um. up. <laughs> um, I don't know much beyond, uh, like, Gen 2. Oh, I know Frogadier. Um, so Greninja is, like, you know... A ninja. Greninja is not this, but Greninja is as close to a, like, cold-blooded assassin, like, cool guy, mm. like, as you're gonna get from Pokemon, you know? Yeah. Um... But I chose Frogadier, which eventually evolves into Greninja, because like I was like, oh, the Major would really latch on to a middle evolution Pokemon as a sort of like becoming, you know, mm-hmm. you're not, you're neither like, you know, a child, nor are you like fully become who you will be. You're on like a middle step, um, and so I landed on Frogadier. Yeah. I was initially thinking Ivysaur, and then I was like, oh, but Frogadier evolves into a ninja, so she would also appreciate that Frogadier becomes a cool <laughs> ninja. <laughs> um, Bato? I'm going to say up front that I think whatever Pokemon it is, it has to be a dog. Um, I don't think this really comes up in... Um, in like the movie, but like Bato's well known for loving dogs. Uh, it's a mm. recurring thing in in standalone complex. So um, I was initially gonna say Machamp. Um, yeah, I think like that vibe is right there, but that's why I'm leaning towards like um, Snubble or what's Arcanine the what's or... the evolved Gramble? Gramble. I could see Bato yeah. really really digging a Gramble. Um. Yeah. Then uh, Togusa. Um, Togusa is such a like, oh, I like revolvers because it's like, you know, it's old fashioned, but it like doesn't jam up and, you know, I, I can use it so quick. So I think that whatever Togusa has, it has to be first gen. Togusa is like I, full uh, old head. That's why I was going to say Scyther. Yeah. <laughs> Because Scyther is, like, my go-to for, like, the quote-unquote coolest um, Gen 1 Pokemon. I don't think Scyther is actually the coolest Gen 1 Pokemon. I just think that, like, um, you know, I don't, Scyther, like, looks cool. I don't know if, I don't know if uh, Togusa's fully, like, needs to be cool. Uh-huh. Which is why, to some degree, I'm leaning towards... Something that's like kind of cool, but like it it is the people think that Scyther's the really cool one, but actually Beedrill's where it's at. So I think Toka mm. says in the Beedrill. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um then I think those Ishikawa shows up in, in the movie. Um Who's Ishikawa? He's the, the hacker guy who's like back at the base. Um Oh, in one scene, yes. Yes. Uh some of the other characters don't show up at all in this movie, um, so we won't go over them. But but Ishikawa is, um, I would say, kind of like the schlubbiest dude of the bunch. Um, and yeah, he's definitely like the hacker type. So what would be like a good um, hacker Pokemon? Um, Missing No. Yeah. Um, he definitely hacked the game so that he could catch and use missing now (laughs) alternatively um 
like maybe one of these Pokemon, like a an Alakazam or a Gengar, where you had to like trade to um, like get it. And so he's like, "Oh yeah, I got my you know my Alakazam this really cool way that like you know." Um, because I didn't have anybody that was playing it, and so I just like hacked the game to like give me one or yeah. whatever. Um. Okay, I think. Oh, I guess we could do the Puppet Master. Puppet Master is Mewtwo. If the Puppet Major Master's is Mew, Mewtwo, Puppet Master is Mewtwo. Yeah, Puppet Master j- just wants a mirror. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also wants to like question, like, the system. You know, uh, I think we answered these questions. We did a good job. Yeah. I mean, we didn't answer what would be the Digimon, but well, you know, I don't know anything about Digimon. <laughs> Why did you send um, this to me? Maybe Connor will know. List of Digimon. Am I gonna get pictures? Oh my god, there's so many Digimon. <laughs> there's Agumon. There's Agumon 2006 anime. There's Agumon Brawn of Bravery. <laughs> Why does no one send what Shin Megami Tensei Demon would, you know? Why don't they play into my wheelhouse? Visual list of Digimon. Well, these are very small pictures still. Oh, my God. Um, this is alphabetical, yeah, got- and it's just like... Igo Chuzman, Igo Chuzman Blue, Igo Chuzman Dark, Igo Chuzman <laughs> Green. I'm gonna suggest something kind of radical. I think there should be like numbers. I think maybe like Agumon should be like one, and then like all of Agumon's evolution should be like two, three, four, five, six. You know, yeah. and then perhaps like Giamon should be two. <laughs> Or, or not, not, not two, but like seven, you know, like, <laughs> I think, I think perhaps the Digimon should have numbers assigned to them that roughly correspond to when they debuted in the uh, anime or video games. I, d- I just want to say, be... I, I was like, just trying to read phonetically the English IGO Chuzman, and I was like, that just doesn't sound like that can be right. So I looked at the the Japanese that's written in Katakana, and it is IGO Chuzman. So I, I, I said it right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, Greymon. Oh, that's just another Agumon. Never mind. There's so many Agumon. <laughs> uh, what's the one with the floppy ears from Tamers? I don't know. I liked that one. I don't even know the name of the sexy angel that was all over Live Journal back in the day. <laughs> I get, there's a little blue striped fucker that's in the first series that's like, I always liked better than Agumon, but I cannot think of his fucking name now. Um. Oh. <laughs> Angwoman. Angel woman. <laughs> no, it's not. You're lying. Angwoman. Oh, no, you're right. Angwoman. You're right. You're right. Um, Armadimon. Oh. I'm just listing Digimon now. Wait. The Digimon seems dumb. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we're done here. Where can people find you? Oh, look at this guy, Bearmon. Oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta yeah, send, send me a picture, picture of Bearmon. This is a good one. 
Um, oh, it's I have to like click. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, this is a good guy right here. Yeah. Um. Definitely. Uh, uh will talk to me about sports, but not in a way that alienates me. um is just very excited about like the latest basketball game but it knows that i'm not that big into sports and so is going to like talk about it in a way to bring me in i appreciate that about him yeah um where can people find you people can find me letting out a big yawn and they can also find me on twitter at autumnal underscore coffee all my other podcasts at exportodd.io that's the patreon page and it's got links to all the free feeds or you could just give us a dollar a month and get access to everything early like this podcast or gotham city limits or any number of other things or you can give us five dollars a month and you can hear pop town funk a podcast where Nora and i roll random funko pops and have to watch the movies that have the characters in them yeah <clears throat> Um, and if you're listening to this in the Ghost Divers feed, uh, if you gave a dollar or preferably five dollars to the, the Patreon, then you would have been able to listen to this episode uh, a few days early. Um, preferably ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's not true for any other Ghost Divers episode, but this one specifically, you could have done it. You missed out. Um, <laughs> People can follow me at FoxMomNia on Twitter. Um, and you can also follow me at Mediav underscore Pile, where I tweeted some photos of the the stairs from um, Executioners from Shaolin. So usually if I'm watching a movie and I see stairs and I can easily screenshot them, I will post them to that account. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's it. Bye, everyone. Thanks for stopping. Bye. <laughs> and remember, if you're not our friends, you're not really our friends. <laughs>
Finally, the the reverse of the bit where Autumn was like, I'm Connor in that one episode. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, you, and then the, I don't even the know other time where we that just, episode yet. When we didn't even name Autumn, we were just like, yeah, it's me even Connor. No. I said Autumn. There was one time. Whatever. There, there was one time where, like, we were just oh, like, and also our, our guest star. Like, so what about these episodes? Well, no. So there... <sighs> I feel like it often is good to, like, if there's, like, a set order, just have people say their names, but you just refuse to. Mm-hmm. And so I was, like, defaulting into, like, here's my co-host, Connor, because this is what I do, because you don't say your name. Um, and then I was, like, and then we're also joined by, and I was just expecting Autumn to say their name. But now I just say everyone's names on right. podcasts. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate you get- doing that, because I hate my fucking name. I just hate saying it so much. <laughs> So you know you can change shit. that. That's true. You know you can you can change it. <laughs> I walked in. I walked into that one. Um, okay, um, fair enough. Um, you know it, not in the way of like, I like, yeah. I don't know what I would change it to. It's kind of just like you know. I don't know if I. Yeah. I don't know if I. I personally don't have a good enough reason to to do it. Um. And also, I don't. I mean, tr- it, I really hate my name that bad. I'm just yeah, joking. Um, I'll say if there's a name that you like a lot better, even if you're like sis, just feel free to change your name to it. I think it's weird that we have this expectation that like before anyone knows you at all, like often before you were even born, uh, someone decides a name for you, and then you just have that for the rest of your life, and that name is supposed to describe you, despite yeah. the fact that like. You, everyone gets that name before they like have any personality whatsoever. Yeah, and obviously no agency over it. Like yeah. before before receiving it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I I told the like anyone should be able but, to choose whatever they want their name to be. Like yeah, full stop. Um, but since that's not the way that things work, it is like very annoying to change your name. Um, I've had to like go to mul- I had this thing that like took multiple years. I I have changed my name to Neve like what th- over 3 years ago, like maybe 3 years now. I don't remember exactly when the anniversary was, but it was like on the one of the coldest days ever in Chicago that I was supposed to do the hearing and then they rescheduled it. Um but and so then I had multiple times where like I've had to like basically go and complain to um the state being like you illegally transferred the title of your car to another person and me being like no i just changed my name can you please just like put in the thing this is a legal name change fucking (laughs) yeah anyway this is so beside the point ghost in the shell 1995 (laughs) (laughs) um no i was i was enjoying that that digression um but yeah, Ghost in the Shell. Um, so, um, yeah, so you already talked about this with, with Autumn. You already had the whole Stairwells episode. So maybe just yeah. start off, like, you want to just give me a whole recap of that whole discussion? Um, just, like, start to finish in, you know, no. full detail? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I, will, I will give you, like, just a little, just, like... A lot of what we focused on was talking about this movie as, like, vibes. Mm. Um, that 
in many ways and in ways that like, and I talked about how, especially having watched a lot of standalone complex, I am like more familiar with like, even just terms that like ghost in the shell as a series will use where when they're talking about like section six and what's going on there and they're like referring to ghosts and everything, like all of that stuff is like situated in a broader understanding I have of ghost in the shell and the themes that ghost in the shell is engaged with. But as like a standalone film, so much of that stuff is like presented with very little explanation. Um, ghost gets explored a little bit, but like we never really get what section six is or why like any of this like political maneuvering matters. Right. And so all of it kind of as a standalone work, all of that kind of just serves to like feed into this general vibe of like, like we described it as kind of this movie has the vibe of when you're like really depressed and you get way too in your head about thinking about like your own mental problems, uh-huh. but just like expressed as like all of that, like you're like overthinking your own identity, both through this like explicit conversation that like the major is having, but then also through like, there's just all of this other like noise that is happening that you are like trying to untangle, but like can never fully untangle um, because the like movie is just short and it's just like full of, full of stuff that like doesn't always fully get explored. So yeah, um, we definitely in the, the ornate stairwells mold, we, we got a little bit into just vibes, but I did also talk a little bit about like, here's some of my read of, of some of what I find interesting here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's some stuff that might come up more as we talk, but yeah, I think it's watching this again. Cause I watched it a super long time ago and like, didn't remember it at really at all. Um, like prior to, you know, us doing standalone complex, watching standalone complex and then watching it again and podcasting about it. Um, it's so, and that has shaped my, like my viewing of, the film just so much <laughs> uh, yeah. coming from like, we've just done, you know, been deep diving like standalone complex. Um, <laughs> like, well, and it's just even stuff of like, I'm like, there's a, there's a email that we'll get to as well that are like the characters. And it's like, okay, let's just run through the characters who are actually in the movie. Cause there's some who like, you know, Saito doesn't really show up in this movie. Um, like, Borma doesn't show up in this movie. Um, but then I brought up Ishikawa, and Autumn was like, who the fuck is Ishikawa? <laughs> and I'm like, He's on screen that, for, like, 30 yeah, seconds or 40 seconds. That hacker guy who I don't even know if he gets named. I don't know if they say his name. The, yeah, they do. But, like, they do. But he's yeah. only... It's very brief. And that's the thing. Like, so, um, so many of the, like, characters and concepts and, like, lore-related things are just floating around in the film in a way that like I, I'm sure like I would like because I, I kind of like generally like that kind of thing where it's like oh yeah it's like really obscure and like that's part of the um like the what the film does and like what it is um but coming from like standalone complex and all the discussions we've had where we've like fleshed out so much of this I'm like like i can't even imagine <laughs> like this film existing without the like rest of this material like it shit would make absolutely no sense 
Yeah. I, in some ways it's a, like, even more so than I intended. I think that this is a, an interesting example. Like this is like a, the perfect thing for us to do a crossover episode because you can watch the ghost in the shell movie without any other context for ghost in the shell. And I think still like follow some of the basics of the plot and like understand what it is doing, but a lot of it being tone and a lot of it being like just focused in on like this core, like identity question or something that's happening at the heart of it. Um, And, but then if you like are familiar with standalone complex as like weirdly this thing that comes after, and also to some degree the manga maybe, but like the manga is weird. I'm going to, I'm going to read it. I've only read a little bit of it um, previously, um, but I like, I'm going to read it by the time we get to the question bucket. Um, but like all of that stuff, like this then almost takes on this like um, adolescence of Utena thing where like, oh, if you like know what's going on in, in Utena and you watch adolescence of Utena, like it can gesture at things and you know what that's talking about. Um, yeah, this is without like, it having to like fully explore it. Yeah. This is like looking at this theme or this question for like, like this is like part of an examination of this theme. Yeah. That is like, you know, neither is 90, like the other 90% of this, like exploration of this theme is in like the series or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And it just, like, is very, I don't want to say, like, seamless, um, but it does, like, fit so, like, it it fits so cleanly in that when you, like, pull it out, you're like, okay, yeah, like, there's this, you know, primary, like, the film is focused on, like, you know, a few questions. And it's like, okay, yeah, in Standalone Complex, like, we've already, like, been working through these questions from like 15 other and like 15 other associated like major questions in a like way more comprehensive way and now we're just like oh yeah here's like the same kind of like idea but a little different but like you know like not as fleshed out and if it was just the film like it you know the examination of this thing would be like it feels like much, not shallow, but it just feels like much less fleshed out. Um, when we're now coming from like our discussion of, you know, obviously season one, but also second gig, like yeah. you know, where we have just like a few conversations exploring. And I mean the the whole film, but like specifically a few conversations, like exploring certain aspects of these questions around identity. And then, like, you know, certain conclusions seem to be arrived at where it's like, yeah, like, yeah, we could. <laughs> um, <laughs> this fits exactly in with, like, everything that's going on in Standalone Complex. And, like, this yeah. gets fleshed out more later. Um, it's also interesting because I think I kind of talked about um, with, like, the section people have already heard, but you haven't, Connor, um, is... I think, like, I had often kind of watched Standalone Complex and Ghost in the Shell, like, at very different times. Um, I had not really done this, like, I am watching them together around the exact same time. Um, because they kind of, 
in, in many ways, like if I want this like deep exploration of themes, I am just going to go to Ghost uh, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. Like I'm gonna like go to this series because I think it does that stuff really well. It like can pace it out. It can, uh, especially that first season is just like really good and strong. Um, and can give me a lot of this, like, I want the bits of, like, you know, political intrigue and espionage. I want the, like, slow development and, like, exploration of these different themes. And then often at, like, very different times in my life, I'm like, I want just, like, a very moody, like, noir-inspired cyberpunk film that's just about, like this weird alienation of the self in like modern state or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I'll watch ghost in the shell 1995. And those are like, not like close in time. And so in my mind, the, the major from like this film and then the major from standalone complex, I still think that there are like differences in the portrayal of them. Um, I think that the major in the movie is like far more introspective and far more like, um, at odds with her, her, uh, like her position as like this, this, uh, an actor of like state violence and like the way that like her entire self, like she's far more like apprehensive and, um, like struggling with the way that her entire, uh, like her selfhood down to even just like her body itself is like owned by the state. Um, And she is, like, concerned about this in a way that the major in Standalone Complex is not. Um, I'm glad you're bringing this up because this is one of the the things that I wanted to talk about. Where I was like, (laughs) I I saw this and I was like, I saw this coming and I was like, okay, I have, have like, thoughts on this. And, like, my thoughts were specifically going to be like, hey, Neve, like, here's some of the, like, let's return to these conversations that we've been having um, about this exact issue. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, I thought that it was like extremely stark for a long time and watching it now, I think that there's actually like a, a closer similarity. Like it is easier for me to imagine that these are like the major in standalone complex and the major in this film are just like the same person, but at like slightly different parts in their like life and they're, Mm -hmm. they're thinking about who they are. Um, but do we want to get into the synopsis? We haven't done that. Yeah, yet. yeah. Let's, and we let's... didn't do that at all on Ornate Stairwells. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the synopsis that you've all long been awaiting. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the film begins in 2029. Uh, with the advancement of cybernetic technology, the human body can be "quote unquote" augmented. Whoa, new term, um, new idea, uh, or completely replaced with cybernetic parts. Uh, another significant achievement is the cyberbrain, a mechanical casing for the human brain that allows access to the internet and other networks. Um, an often mentioned term is ghost, referring to the consciousness inhabiting the body, quote unquote, the shell. Uh, Major uh, Motoko Kusanagi is an assault team leader for Public Security Section 9 of Newport City in Japan. Following a request from Nakamura, chief of Section 6, she successfully assassinates a diplomat of a foreign country to prevent a programmer named Daita from defecting. The foreign minister's interpreter is ghost hacked, uh, I guess around the same time, um, presumably to assassinate VIPs in an upcoming meeting. Believing the perpetrator is a mysterious puppet master, Kusanagi's team, Section 9, follows the trace telephone calls that sent the virus. 
After a chase, they capture a garbage man and a thug. Um, it, the, the synopsis does not, <laughs> yeah. it does not specify, but these are the, the people who are making the calls that are sending the virus. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just very, very, they capture a garbage man and a thug. However, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, yeah. It's just like, just, why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> wrong, wrong person, right person, who knows? Um, but it is, in fact, the, the, the people who are making these calls. Um, however, uh, both are only ghost-hacked individuals with no clue about the Puppet Master. Um, it seems that the Puppet Master has um, hacked them and uh, implanted false memories, you know, leading them to do these calls um, for some purpose or another. Uh, the investigation again comes to a dead end. Megatech Body, a shell manufacturer with suspected close ties to the government, is hacked and assembles a cybernetic body. The body escapes but is hit by a truck. As Section 9 examines the body, they find a human ghost inside its computer brain. Uh, inside its synthetic, you, like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to object with them saying a human ghost. Right. A ghost. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that, is, that is a good uh, objection. Yeah. Because um, the whole point, I think, is whether, you know, human and ghost are synonymous um, yeah. or not. Um, I think not. <laughs> um, <laughs> unexpectedly, Section 6's department chief Nakamura o- arrives to reclaim the body. He claims that the quote-unquote ghost inside the brain is the puppet master himself. Uh, interesting. Um, <laughs> we'll get into the gender <laughs> happening. We, of course, <laughs> talked about that on stairwells as well. But <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Lured into the body by Section 6. The body reactivates itself, claims to be a sentient being, and requests political asylum. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, then, after the puppet master initiates a brief argument about what constitutes a human, a camouflaged agent accompanying Nakamura starts a diversion and gets away with the body. Um, having suspected foul play, Kusanagi's team is prepared and immediately pursues the agent. Meanwhile, Section 9 researches Project 2501, um, which... Did that get mentioned in the synopsis you were reading? That's like no, <laughs> yeah. That comes up as like one that comes up as a thing that um, like the pump master is talking about and everything. It also came up in the sequence at the very beginning when Major Gusanagi just like jumps and shoots the guy through the window and and falls and fades out. A thing that gets referenced multiple times in standalone complex. Um, and the beginning of second gig actually starts with like the same thing of someone's talking about something that's going to be the whole plot of the thing and <laughs> the major just like kills him. Um, and then later everything happens. Um, but we get that like little taste at the beginning. Anyway, um, section nine researchers project two five zero one mentioned earlier by the puppet master and finds a connection with Dita whom section six, uh, tries to keep from defecting the country. Facing the discovered information, Daisuke Aramaki, chief of Section 9, Who's concludes that, that uh, <laughs> it's a bald motherfucker. Uh, concludes <laughs> that Section... Well, there are multiple bald motherfuckers. It's the the chief one. Chief Cons- of Section cons- 9. Considerably worse yeah. hair in the the, the old guy. The very old guy. Right, um, yeah, the, yeah. The balding, not just, like, bald. Anyway, um... Concludes that Section 6 created the Puppet Master itself for various political purposes and now seeks to reclaim the body that it currently inhabits. 
Kusanagi follows the car, carrying the body to an abandoned building, where she discovers it being protected by a robotic spider-like tank. Anxious to face the Puppet Master's ghost, Kusanagi engages the tank without backup, resulting in her body being mostly dismembered. And I would say, in many ways, starting to resemble the the body of the Puppet Master. Um, same, like, missing an arm and things. Um her partner, Bato, arrives in time to save her and helps connect her brain to the Puppet Masters. Uh, the Puppet Master explains to Kusanagi that he was created by Section 6. While wandering the various networks, he became sentient and began to contemplate his existence. Deciding the essence of life is reproduction and mortality, he wants to exist within a physical brain that will eventually die. As he could not escape Section 6's network, he had to download himself into his cybernetic body. Having interacted with Kusanagi without her knowledge, he believes she is also quest- uh, questioning her humanity, and they have a lot in common. He proposes merging their ghosts. In return, Kusanagi would gain all of his capabilities. Uh, Kusanagi agrees to the merge. Then, snipers from Section 6 approach the building, intending to destroy the Puppet Masters and Kusanagi's brains to cover up Project 2501. Uh, the Puppet Master's shell is destroyed, but Bato shields Kusanagi's head in time to save her brain. Um, as Section 9 closes in on the site, the snipers retreat. Kusanagi wakes up in, this time in quotation marks here, wakes up in Bato's safe house with her previous shell's head um, attached to a new cyborg child body. She tells Bato that the entity within her body is neither Kusanagi nor the Puppet Master, but a combination of both. She promises Bato that they will meet again, leaves the house, and wonders where to go next. Um, so that's the synopsis. I would say fairly accurate. I have a couple squabbles, but uh, definitely better than some of the synopses we've read on this podcast, I think. Yeah, but still part of our like endless yeah. war against wiki synopses. Um, yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's good enough uh, with our editorializing. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you, uh, I'll, I'll open the floor to you if you want to uh, pick a, a direction to go. Otherwise, I can. Uh, I have some ideas. Um, I'm kind of fine having you lead this since people have already listened to me talk a bunch about this movie. Oh yeah, fair fair point. <laughs> um, so what, first thing that I thought was really interesting is, um, and you know, obviously given like the realities of production, um. It's it's not necessarily seamless. Like you can't really read in intentionality um, to this um, fully. But uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is the way that technology is presented in the film. Um, so technically, within the lore, like within the universe, I believe the events of the film are twenty twenty nine, and then standalone complex is twenty thirty. Um. Yeah. It's either like a standalone complex is either like a year or like a two years after the events of the film. Um, and obviously there's questions about like, you know, whether there's a, like a fictional continuity. Um, and then obviously there's not like, it's not the same production. Um, like, well, team. like, and, yeah, it's still production IG, but, um, you know, different director a, and like they weren't maybe yeah. weren't anticipating like doing standalone complex at the time of the film like you know. yeah the the vibe i would say is um 
I think there's a lot in standalone complex that is specifically like there are even just shots in this movie that get mirrored and replicated in standalone complex. And that like some of it is obvious stuff that like, of course, most people know, of course, standalone complex does homages to the like her jumping and doing the the uh, camo. Um, it's like one of the most iconic shots of the movie and there are multiple shots in standalone complex that reference it and none of them she's naked in the way that she is in this, but like, um, still a lot of referencing there, but there are other stuff that like, like, um, Togusa having, a like revolver. shooting a car with a revolver that has like a, a tracking bullet. And like one of the advantages to his revolver being, he can put in a bullet easily. That's going to be like a tracker. Um, so that they can like follow a car. Like this is the thing that happens at the end of the f- first, uh, ghost in the shell standalone complex. And there's even just like moments in this that I was watching, having now watched standalone complex multiple times. Um, and some of it recently where I'm just like, Oh, they just like literally like even did some of the same framing and, mm-hmm. and did a similar shot here. Um, there's like a moment here where the tank is like, uh, crushing, like trying to crush her head and the, the visor gives out before her head does. Um, and they like kind of reference that in the first season of standalone complex where she's like getting stepped on and the concrete breaks before her head does. Um, like there's even just like little details like that, where I think standalone complex is homaging the movie so much. Um, but is also trying to like, without spoiling too much, you know, people go watch the first season of Standalone Complex before we get the second gig. If you haven't, you can go back and listen to our, our old episodes on it. Um, but like the child body that she's in here kind of shows up in yeah. uh, Standalone Complex. And maybe it's this one or maybe it's like a something else. Like it but doesn't fully get explained her, there. But yeah, that, the that image, image of her even child repeats. body. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. So, I mean, with all that said, like, it it is still, though, quite drastic, like, the difference in technological development that we see um, in the film versus, like, Standalone Complex. Um, yeah. In the film, like, it is recognizable as the same, like, technology and technological concepts, but they're at, like, a noticeably earlier state. Um, the, like, surveillance systems the capabilities of the surveillance systems are like obviously lesser um like audio visual resolution is worse and again i like we can talk about you know the film was made in 95 the show was made in like you know early 2000 like almost you know five to ten years later um so there's just realities of like the context uh, of the production um but i think this is actually has like interesting um implications for like the content of um well a like the universe and then the content of the film um and how we perceive it um but uh yeah so audiovisual resolution so um you know some of the like graphical interfaces uh some of the like um you know, screens or digital spaces that we inhabit as the viewer or that were shown, um, the like communications audio between the members of section nine, uh, 
the resolution is like scratchy and like worse um in a way that's interesting um and also like there's just more analog like a lot more analog type stuff um cords wires like what have you um i think this is pretty obvious right away um in that scene the kind of the opening scene where the major is like perched um and they're doing, you know, surveillance for the assassination. Um, but another interesting one was the scene where the um, the interpreter has been uh, ghost hacked. Uh, and there's this kind of like extended shot of her body. She's had her cyber brain removed. Um, where you just see that this interface between like flesh and cybernetics is not is it's not nearly as clean. Um, yeah. As it is in the world of standalone complex. Um, like, and in fact, I think, um, and this is where, like, I think it, you know, becomes, starts to have implications for um, the film. Um, it's a site of kind of conflict and vulnerability and danger. Um, like, whereas, you know, in standalone complex, you regularly see them, um, just like accessing somebody's brain with a like single net port cord. Kusanagi does this all the time. Um, in this scene, there is like a mass of wires and cables just like spilling out of this gaping hole in this woman's head. Um, connect like connecting to her cyber brain that's like removed on, on a table. Um, and then there's this like larger tube running to it that's like, like pumping presumably blood to her brain. Um, but you can like audibly hear this pumping. Um, and it's just like this, you know, mass of like cables, like again, the open, like wound and not wound, but the open like hole in her head. Um, all, like having to go to this extent um, to like interface with someone's cyber brain um versus like you know some of the easier interfaces that we see um in standalone complex um it it really uh drives home this difference of like okay this technology it's the same kind of technology but it's just the presentation is much different and the state of development it, it seems to be um much different as well yeah um not not to like contradict that because i i think all of that is true but also there's a certain like to me to when i saw that shot of you know her cyber brain out with all the wires in it um part of me too was like oh in standalone complex we can have an entire episode that's talking about like oh swapping cyber brains this is what this like you know politician does um as like a a way to have fun and then it becomes like a crux of solving the the case of the week or whatever and so like they can like devote an episode to like introducing you to like oh yeah cyber brains you can take them out of bodies you can like swap them you can connect with them um and this movie in its brevity has to be like no let's just show the cyber brain like on a table um yeah. and so there but and i think also Standalone Complex has moments that feel like it. it is a, a sign-in show. It is like a, a show that is geared towards this like adult male demographic in um, Japan. 
And so it has like this higher level of violence and gore than like your typical shonen anime would have. Um, but n- a lot of it feels like it is not veering like this movie. And this is the thing we talked about in the stairwell side of things is also like very often functioning as like cyborg body horror. Um, mm. There, there is so much in this movie that is about like the body breaking down and the body being like pulled apart and that body being a cyborg body. Um, and so like it almost falling into this like weird abjection where uh, not only are you seeing the abjection of like a body being torn apart and the gut spilling out, but like those guts are wires now. Um, mm. And so, and it like further like pushing it and doing it in this other way where also some of the like abjection and horror is like the human body that is not even human, that it is this like cyborg body. Um, and not in ways that feel like weird anti-cyborg, like anti-disability stuff, but just sure. like that just it is concerned this, like, with, yeah. Yeah. This like, with, like tactile a, like experience. Yeah. And I, and I think it is like far more engaged with, that not just because it is a, a movie that can probably get away with even more than a TV show can, but that like, I think a chief fascination of this, of this film and like a chief thing that it is exploring is that actual like intense abject horror of like when a body, when an, a cyborg body breaks down, that too is like, has its own horror. Um, and that is in some ways similar to, and in some ways dissimilar from like the breaking down of like the flesh and blood human body. Um, and I don't think that like standalone complex is exploring that in the same way that the movie is. Um, and so I think that's also a thing that's being like serviced by this like lower tech, uh, setting than standalone complex is that it allows things to be grimier and, um, for us to like have to see the bodies like, pulled apart in ways just to like accomplish basic tasks in the way that standalone complex isn't even like fully interested in exploring anymore. I don't think. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and I think, uh, there is, <clears throat> there's a way that this progresses in standalone com- within standalone complex too, where like a lot of the first season. So, I mean, what we're talking about is kind of like, it is a theme ultimately a theme we've discussed before in relation to ghost in the shell, which is like, yeah, you know, this like integration, the cyberization of the human body and like the integration of like cybernetic and organic and how that's a site of like horror and vulnerability. Um, and, you know, in addition to like capability and these other like more positive affects. Um, and the first season of standalone complex, like, it seems to like meditate on this and engage with this um, a fair amount, um, but to like a lesser degree than. And I think also like totally different in that, like this, this is a reduction of both the movie and the first season, but like the season seems to be more the psychological horror of this integration. And the, the movie is like, more engaged with just even the the like body horror you know yes. like the difference between those two film genres but it almost um, feels it it almost feels reflective of like a society 
like getting used to like this technology like yeah like the world of like you know standalone complex like there's a certain amount of time that you feel has elapsed whether it is like the you know whether there is a continuity or not like a certain amount of time has elapsed like beyond the like introduction of this technology like so that it is clean in all these ways like okay so collectively like the society has been able to process like has almost gone through this phase of like oh you know this technology is introduced and it is like the interface itself is like not only new conceptually and experientially uh but also like grimy and like (laughs) um like uneven and you know um like inconvenient in all of these ways um but like the world of standalone complex has moved past that point and it's almost like yeah this is a world where people have like society has been through like these earlier iterations of this technology and like experienced all of this and like gotten used to it in a way and is now like dealing with you know other aspects of like you know now the experience is like of technology like now they're dealing with the experience of this technology at like its later state um the implications of that whereas like you know going back to everything that that all the points you're raising like um you know the film is focused on like this like you know this other time period um or this other like this earlier um like this other type of experience with this technology, um, but also seemingly at like an earlier iteration of it. Um, and I think those two things are, you know, causally I mean, the same. Yeah. Um, there's something I was going to launch off of from that. And now it's like fully, I, I lost it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, the trick is, if you stop trying to remember it, you'll remember it. Yeah. Um, you just start thinking about something else and you remember it. Um, do you want to talk about the credit scene? The assembly um, of the body? Yeah. Which, uh, I, I think I'm going to keep. I did it for the intro to Ghost in the Shell. Um, I did the shot of, like, the brain case being put like the the head's kind of exploded and there's the brain case in there. Um and it's like fully a cyborg head. Um I'm sure you've seen the shot. I think I like used it during one of our tabletop campaigns as well, Connor. Oh yeah. Um yeah. and I'm thinking about just like keeping that as like this is the for this like season of Ghost Divers, this is the like default art and then there'll be specific episode art for like different movies and things. Um like the, you know, second gig and everything. Um but like I have a bunch of episode art for the for this season, but I think that's the like, that's the one that I wanted to just be kind of like here's the de- just default one, um, and then like the one that's going to be for this movie is her um, tearing up the the tank and like the, oh, the yeah. moment where like her arm rips off, um, where you like really get the the wire guts and everything, um, but. Yeah, we we can like talk a little bit about that that initial sequence. Um, okay, so I mean, I think it kind of is somewhat related to to the point we've been discussing, which is um, 
well, I'll, I'll just say like my, my take on this. Um, the, the first thing that I like noticed about this sequence is I was like, damn, is this the first time that we've actually seen a cybernetic body like being created in this franchise? Um, cause I can't remember any instances from like standalone complex. Um, and I mean, in any event, it can't be like, it, it can't have happened more than one or once or twice. Yeah, I think we always see, like, we get, like, transferring between bodies, and we get some moments where, like, bodies are are um, less so than in this movie, but are, like, in states of disrepair or, um, you know. But I don't know if we, I don't think we ever get in like the production the show. of the body. Yeah, which, for, for me, part of what's interesting about it is... A lot of this um, movie, to me, I've described as being like a body horror, and this kind of has the feeling, but it it is like the far more, you know, the a lot of this movie is the body horror of like a slasher film where they're like cutting off heads or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the like weird body horror of like anatomy class. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. Where like you look at like the diagram and it's like, oh, here's like a human body splayed open where everything is in its proper little place. And we're showing you like how the entrails sit and the where the heart is in the rib cage or whatever. Um, Just the horror but, like, of being for... like, this is inside of me right now. Yeah. yeah. This is and it body. being presented like in this like very scientific, clinical, like clean way. Um, that's, that's a lot of what that sequence is. Uh, but again, doing it for the cyborg body rather than, you know, actual guts and organs in the, the like fleshy sense. Yeah. And I mean, with that in mind, um, what I think is interesting about the sequence is so not only like, this is the first time we actually see a cybernetic body being like created. Um, but what the sequence tells us um so there's this emphasis on like humanness and form um like we see the layering of like synthetic bone and fascia and muscle and ligaments tendons like etc um of course it's not really bone um but like it you know it it looks like bone it it's um like it appears to be all of these all of these things um which kind of begs the question like is this really necessary for functionality um because you know whenever when we're watching standalone complex um and we're thinking about cybernetic bodies you know i never would would i was never given the impression that like oh okay there's you know this is constructed in the exact same way as like a human body um in terms of like the layering of, you know, the various um, systems, like, oh, you know, this is just kind of like a robotic body. It works differently. Uh, but of course, like cosmetically it appears human, but it's not like actually internally uh, like similar um, and nor like, would that be necessary? Um, but here we find out that it is. Um, and it made me wonder, like, you know, is this necessary for, is this cosmetic or is this somehow, like, functionally necessary 
Um, and if it is like just cosmetic, um, I mean, either way, uh, it's an interesting like question to ponder. Um, but if it is just like a cosmetic thing, um, it's reflective of this like desire to mimic the human body, even when it isn't like practically relevant. Um, yeah. Like, you know, it, it's not visible, all these like structures or whatever. Um, you know, and yet like there's still this insistence on like verisimilitude to the human form. Um, and then in addition to that, um, the sequence also, uh, I think a good portion of it concerns the skin. Um, like there's this emphasis on skin, the several step process of like generating it. Um, and then, you know, it's realism, the details being rendered, um, you know, obviously like, um, something that Claire Napier talks about, but like the nipple shape is, um, you know, distinct, um, as are other like cosmetic skin details. Um, and again, like this, you know, the sequence, um, really emphasizes like, um, this kind of insistence or importance of like verisimilitude to the human form, um, in the way that humans like in this world are creating, um, cybernetic bodies. Yeah. Um, I've just been watching this sequence as I've been <laughs> talking. Cause I just have the file on my computer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm also watching this. I think I said this on the, the, the previous, uh, recording but uh Anno truly didn't invent anything <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the continued punching bag of yeah of our podcast um, um but yeah there's, there's just uh, a bunch in this that i'm like wow Enaveva just like used some of these images huh <laughs> yeah there, there definitely um, were a few moments in in the film where i was like okay yeah this i've seen this somewhere yeah um this shows up somewhere else. Um, what a fantastic movie! Anyway, yeah, a lot of it. Oh, and of Ava? like yeah, the, it's great. No, just <laughs> <laughs> in the shot. Um, yeah, a lot of this is focused. Like most of what we get is like musculature, and then um, sort of the brain case being put into like essentially a robot skull. Um, and like the way that it like folds in and kind of replicates the the way that there are like various bones in the skull that are are not fused like when you are first born so that mm-hmm. you can like come out of the you know birth canal without like damage to your skull and then that stuff like fuses in a baby over time um and it has like sort of the the um, you know those plates of the skull that kind of come together and fold together um, but then, yeah, a lot of it is specifically the, the applying of skin and everything, um, and the and hair. The, the layering of skin and like, mm-hmm. you know, the, um. Well, and there's like some process where there's like something, there's some like white thing that's all over it when the skin is first layered and then that like flakes it's off. Removed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and then at the end, there's like these extended shots of like the naked body, um, and how like 
you know, uh, again, like the detail of the naked body and how, like, uh, I think those shots emphasize, like, the, you know, humanness of the body in contrast to, like, um, you know, the starting point of the process where it's yeah. basically just, like, these components or whatever. Um, yeah, one thing I, I find interesting, because we see a lot of naked pre- naked female bodies mm-hmm. um, in this film. And uh, it's interesting because I, I feel like Standalone Complex, despite not showing the major naked in the same way, is, like, hornier about her body than this movie is, which often just kind of presents it as, like, this female nudity um but not in this like same we don't get like close-ups of the major's ass as she gets out of a like tank or whatever you know like we don't get like the fan service shots we just have her like standing naked um in this like obviously still sexualized but like not in the same not in this like leering sexualized way but in this more just like the sexual body kind of there in a way that I think is often to some degree meant to make you like uncomfortable with the nudity and the, like the, what you are seeing um, rather than like titillated by it. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, again, like a lot of it has to do with like the movement and the posing of the body um, between the two, you know, between standalone complex and um, ghost in the shell. And, I think there's a way that in in the film um, the naked body is just presented as like a fact um, or like a reality um, in, in like in agreement with what you're saying. Um, yeah. Like, oh, here's the major just like standing. Um, it's not like, you know, she's not moving in some like titillating way or she's not like bent over and the camera is like, you know, you know, looking up at her, like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, one of the, like, often she's, like, standing, and one of the moments where she's is um, naked and actually, like, moving her body is when she's trying to rip the tank, like, the, the top off of the tank, and it's, like, this this focus on, like, her muscles bulging and rippling in ways that um, are calling attention to the... Uh, inhumanness at least within like you know modern sensibilities of the human body like the Mm -hmm. the way that like her body like bulks up in a way that a a normal human body could not um and that is like in many ways masculinizing her body for the viewer um rather than like when her body is in display in that scene it is about this like thing that is again pushing away from this like um, interest in the female body as like a, a sexual object, a but instead as thing yeah. to be observed. Yeah, yeah. Um, which might be a good launching point, unless you have more immediate thoughts into some of the gender happening in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Do you want to? Um, um, do you want to start with the, uh, um, the very beginning? Um. um where yeah, she I mean, says, I'm on my period. Yeah. Which is a very um, interesting comment. Yeah. I don't, like, some of the stuff we could do um, 
broken out. Like, I think there's a lot of assertion of of her as a feminine body, but also this, like, um, questioning of her body as it progresses. Um, mm-hmm. Not in ways that are, are specifically, like, around um, her femininity, necessarily, but, like, you know, we, we begin to get these questions around, like, the what am I without my body and my body is like owned by the state. And this is like the, mm-hmm. the greater question. Um, but there is this like um, difficulty with the body that, it, you know, I talk about as being like in some ways resonant in an interesting way, like am important for me at times in my life um, when I was like figuring myself out. Like there was a time where I just like fully had canon major kusanagi as trans and that's like less how i read her character but there's a resonance there um and some of what's happening in this movie is like more of this like um this questioning of your own body rather than like full identification with it but she does kind of assert her femininity repeatedly throughout it even as like the end (coughs) stuff with the tank um like pushes it more into this masculine territory um, yeah, I think um, I think the reason I bring this up is not to like, because there there is a a di- like a dialogue and a progression happening around this. Um, yeah, but I think this is an interesting point for like some of the other discussions that we've had about Kusanagi and her body, um, and her gender, um, and her femininity, uh, just in general, um, the way that it's placed like at the very beginning of the um of the film in relation like and then followed by um like the display of her body um in like you know these form-fitting outfits that we've talked we've questioned before um like what the meaning of that is um yeah within this larger context not as like a final read for Oh yeah, this is what like is happening with gender in the film, um, but as like one aspect of this like you know larger discussion. Yeah. Um. But it, so some of this too, though. Like one of the things that I talked about a little bit with the stairwell side <coughs> was um, just to like pull it out a little bit more explicitly here too. We get this um, this interesting thing that's happening. So the puppet master also um, has this female body, but then has this like masculine voice. People refer to the puppet master using the pronouns like he, him, um, and seems to, to some degree, like think about things in that way. Uh, seems to have like a certain masculinity. Um, and so what becomes especially interesting to me is even as like the the beginning of the film is emphasizing the feminine body of the major, um, some of the stuff at the end pushes her into this like masculine territory. Um, and so then we get this like union of this happening where both of them are, are female bodies, but the, the um, throughout the course of the film, the gender, like the major's body has been um transed in some way and like pushed into this masculine territory whereas like the puppet master's body has remained like this feminine body but then the puppet master it seems to be taking on this like masculine 
voice and, and presentation in other ways, whereas the major is still continuing to have this like feminine voice and presentation in other ways. Um, and then we get this like union and it's sort of pushing towards like almost this, the puppet master as um, like a male brain, female body, the, the major as like a, a female brain, male body, but also this weird, like it has gone through a masculinization to reach to this point. Um, and so then we have this like almost like heterosexual coupling, but so much of it has been like complicated by everything around it that it doesn't, this is where I actually brought it up and like did my punches at end of Ava. It like for me doesn't fall into this like very heteronormative idea of the like here are two like here's the the sex the the man and the woman who come together and can like create the new offspring which i think end of ava gestures at this is also gesturing at but it's complicated what gender means in that like coupling to such an extent that um it, it just like makes the entire thing land and work so much more for me um because it it is like as a series that is so engaged with pushing beyond the body or thinking about the body or thinking about like, how does cyberization change the body in a relation to like aspects of biology to then have this thing that is like in some ways gesturing at like a, an Adam and Eve or whatever, but at the same time, like really complicating it and like showing the breakdown of like by, uh, of sex, both in this, like, biological DNA sense, as well as, like, the act, the, like, procreative act. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, really, like, breaking down and, and kind of um, presenting it at this point where, like, that is where all of those concepts have kind of been trans to some extent or have been, like... Um, subverted and, and queered and, like, made into this, like, weirder thing that is happening. Um, some of it is stuff that I don't have like a, an extremely deep final take on exactly what it's happening, but it, for me, it's some of the power of the end of this is like the, this, um, this way that it is like gesturing at the, at the same time, like the major is still in the, like a little girl's body. Like there is still like a, a society that you can't fully break from. And yet there are ways that like what is happening is like breaking from normal, um, like cis heteronormative conceptions of like reproduction, mm -hmm. uh, that I find interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think, um, like gender is interrogated heavily, um, throughout the film. Um, in various ways, um, just to add to the point you were making, um, to, to follow your reading of like, you know, the major's body is masculinized in some way. Um, and then, you know, if we take the reading that, uh, of the puppet master as like framed as this masculine, um, entity, uh, well, it's a masculine entity that is feminized by virtue of, you know, being like trapped into this, uh, well, inhabiting and then being, you know, trapped into this feminine yeah. body. But um, also seemingly wanting that trapping to happen. Right. Well, choosing the body to be, yeah, to inhabit. And then, you know, yeah. 
Like, well, and also wanting to be in that body because wanting to have a body that can die. Right. That being part yeah. of, of his like wish. Um, and then, but then that body being a feminine body. Right. And then, you know, obviously merging into Kusanagi's body or at which point it's no longer, uh, Kusanagi, but, um, nonetheless, like, you know, merging into Kusanagi's brain and Kusanagi's body, um, which, uh, although I think we're given to understand is like, you know, a female body, at least initially we're given to understand this, like, you know, her body has obviously gone through like this, um, these transformative, like, or these hinted at, you know, transformative, um, like experiences, um, that have complicated our understanding of it. Um, so, yeah, there, there's movement <laughs> within these categories for sure. Um, I think there's also, uh, one of the comments that stood out to me was when the, um, when Nakamura and Dr. Willis, I think is the doctor's name, um, are, they first arrive at like, um, the, the scene where, you know, section nine is, has the puppet master's body like um like displayed um the uh nakamura says something to the effect of like well they start immediately start using he him pronouns for the puppet master and um nakamura is like oh yeah him is just a nickname that the doctor has given him um where you know it this is a moment where um, and then we do later, like, um, the puppet master speaks in this kind of, like, you know, in this male voice, um, or, you know, this male voice actor. Um, but there's this external, like, imposition, right? By, like, um, by, like, this third party of, like, this yeah. application of, like, these pronouns that, obviously are not like uh it's not initiated or like affirmed by the puppet master um yeah there's also this uh interesting that happens interesting thing that happens when the major and the puppet master are merging where um her body begins to he begins to speak through her body using his voice mm-hmm. and then she is like seeming like the way that it is framed like not speaking in a way that Bato can hear but it is like when we get her voice and what she's saying back to the puppet master we are seeing the the body of the puppet master this like trading of bodies that has also occurred um or it seems to be her like yeah looking out through the the eyes in the puppet master's body or whatever yeah um and uh, so i think like all of this to say um there's a way that the film is interrogating like the idea of gender as like an integral part of consciousness or like embodiment um, either. And I don't think this is like, you know, I don't think the film, I, I think it's interrogating. I don't think it offers like conclusions, um, but whether like gender is in fact um, so, some, you know, sense experience of gender, whatever that may be. Um, whether it is in fact an integral part of consciousness and embodiment, or if like, if it isn't, 
Um, and then that, like, is somehow, uh, an external imposition, um, or a consequence of, like, um, you know, being within the context of society, being, like, embodied within the context of, uh, certain society. Um, and the way that this plays out where, like, as soon as the Pope Master becomes a life form, they're perceived, uh, in terms of gender and this gender like is applied uh you know by by the like by the doctor and by you know w- which i think you could even take further the reading of like you know the doctor being the one applying this and whatever um but anyway um i just think like all of this stuff is is up for grabs in a way that is um, interesting and like open-ended yeah okay so um the next thing that i know you and i both want to talk about is um this conversation between bato and kusanagi where they talk about quitting section nine yeah um, which uh brings out a lot of what we've talked about before um and yeah. and in a way that I felt um, actually addresses this like subject, um, even though it's brief, it, it seems to address this subject in a way that it is a little more explicit and incisive than like some of the other uh, material uh, so yeah. far. It it's also interesting to you know when I think about standalone complex that. Uh, part of the diving scene is also this this discussion of almost like the the um like passive suicidality of the major in this moment that like or this like disregard for her body because so much of standalone complex is like this absolute pride she has in the body that she has um and one of the things talked about with the diving is like oh, so it's part of why you do this that, like, maybe someday you won't be able to come back up. And you're, like, part of you would be okay with that because it would mean, like, freedom from having to, like, have this body that is owned by the state and means that you are, like, the boot of Section 9. <coughs> Me, like, even more direct than what happens in that conversation, but um, I think that comes up a little bit here. Um, and that is not uh, a relationship to to her body that I I see in standalone complex, um, but that perhaps if you if you think about like if the major in standalone complex is the major who's the the like um like fusion of Kusanagi and the puppet master the puppet master is bringing in this like desire to have a body, a, yeah. a specific body that might like further tie into some of the characterization of the major and standalone complex. Yeah. Um, I think, well, not to cut you off if, if you had a, no, you I'll can, let you, you think. Um, yeah, I think, so we talked about this in the season one of standalone complex in our coverage and, we drew this out a lot, but I think that the problem is, like, even though it's there, 
um, you do have to like dig and draw it out because it's not like explicitly um, in so many words, this is not something that the major is like articulating, contemplating and like, you know, talking about. Um, Whereas here it is pretty like explicitly framed of like, Oh, you know, here's this other vulnerability of cyberization, the fact that your body needs maintenance and like our bodies, because they're so highly cyberized, like the being able to keep them and like in working condition and keep them at all um, is contingent on us working for section nine. It said like outright. Um, And then, you know, uh, they discuss the possibility of quitting Section 9, which they both seem to, on some level, want to do. Um, and then we find out, like, well, yeah, if but if we did that, we would have to, like, not only give up our bodies, uh, but also a portion of our memories. Um, and this conversation happening in the context of this larger film, which is based, you know, which is... Um, like analyzing all of the ways that your identity and consciousness is contingent on your memories and your body. Um, so, you know, uh, there, there is a form of like um, deprivation of self that uh, is a force or a threat um, that keeps them working at section nine. Um, so this kind of it, it now, like this coercion uh, becoming explicit Um, so, you know, back to your points about, um, you know, trans people in the military, um, and these are the ways that, um, oppressive systems can, can factor into these dynamics. Um, so there's that, um, which there's a lot to (laughs) discuss there. Um, yeah, the, my like very short note on that too, is that like, Especially by stuff in like second gig, it's like I don't I don't know how I would like get through and try to radicalize the major um, if I'm like doing this you know work that I I sometimes do in like trans liberationist stuff. Um, in this movie, I'm like ah here's a here's a person who I can talk to about like the relationship to the body and the state and. <laughs> Like <laughs> you're someone yeah, who's like, thinking about it where, where I have an in, um, and I feel like by a lot of, especially later in the, the standalone complex, like as a progressive, she seems like a bit for me, like more and more just fully identified with like, no, like I just am this, like, I am this body that is like a body of the state that is the, like a, a weapon of the state. And I like enjoy the power that that gives me. I like fully identify with section nine as like who I am. Um, I identify with my role as the major, um, which again, th- there's just so much more questioning here. Right. Yeah. This major is going to know exactly what you're talking about. If you, start, yeah. <laughs> if you start that conversation, like you're not going to have to do a lot of groundwork there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then the so the other aspect of this for me, which I think, um, you, you know, I think there's a whole argument there here where like someone could say like, oh, well, you you know, you should probably not constantly be bringing in standalone complex because this is like you know 
a more productive reading of the film would just be like looking at the film itself um which that's like that's fair but i'm not doing that because <laughs> you know as i said at the top like i can't it like i can't extricate the two um and i think it's interesting like as we as we've been doing to kind of look at like to, to think through the two together as well um but anyway like this leads me to the question of um kind of setting up some of the stuff that does happen in stimulo complex um if we follow from some of the ideas posited in the film about the body being an integral part of who you are um and a you know, formative a constitutive element of your identity um what happens when like an integral part of your identity becomes contingent on your participation as an agent in this oppressive system? Um, like, so not only is there a coercive, like, you know, a coercive element to that, um, but there's also potentially a, um, a constitutive element uh, to that um, whereby, you know, um, someone's identity you know, this significant component of someone's identity um, then becomes tied up with um, or, or formed by um, this system that they're a part of, um, which, you know, I think there's an argument to be made that um, maybe, you know, it, and this is where the standalone complex stuff gets, you know, kind of interesting, which is, okay, well, are we now seeing... A later or different version of the major where like the ideology of the system has just become part of the major's identity um through at least partially like um you know this dynamic um i think they're you know parts of the same question ultimately um but you know the this scene does seem to pose like um, some of these problems. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I, I thought about too, and that I, I talked about a little bit on the stairwell section as well, is that like there, there is a certain like tinge of hope at the end of this movie in the, like the, the child body that she occupies is one that's specifically noted as being like, bought on the black market by Bato. Um, and so there, there's a certain, like the body that she occupies now is like more free from section nine in the state than like what she had previously. There still need to be upkeep and things like that. Um, but it's also coming kind of commented on that. Like, it's not the body that she seems to want. Like she wants to like, have this higher grade, higher performance body as well. Um, I mean, she specifically notes like not really my style referring to like being this child, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than like an adult woman. Um, but it, it is this like interesting moment too, of like, there's some, some potentiality of trying to escape from the system where her like a body is, is fully, um, owned and controlled by the state that is suggested in that moment. Um, and if we read this as like a, a continuity, um, 
there there are some question to me of like what is the aspect then between the fusing of the puppet master and the major that is like going to then go and return and and further identify even more than before after this like period of questioning um mm-hmm. it, is it the puppet master bringing in this like uh some sort of aspect that would push the like questioning kuzanagi to this is like accepting state is it this like experience of like not having the body that she wants that then like further drives her to like know that it's just the body that i want and so an like, affirmation of that yeah and so i'm and i am going comes... to like have that body and i like um i've made this these choice. things that i'm questioning i'm like i am now yeah i am more like explicitly choosing like no i do want to just like i i am fine having my body be owned by the state because it is the body that i want um, hmm. or whatever. Uh, and who knows? It's the, the movie that I remember the least is ghost in the shell to innocence. I've not watched oh, it nearly as much <laughs> as this one. So, um, I'm kind of curious, like, how is this going to, cause I know that like for, for much of innocence, she's occupying this like child body. Um, at least for, for much of the beginning, I don't, I don't fully remember the the plot of innocence um, and how this stuff connects, but um, God, I so I'm kind of interested in seeing like how <laughs> that's not like, good. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of trying. Like I'm wondering how is innocence going to, especially if you're trying to think about this as continuous. How does innocence like complicate or yeah? Like, does it continue that connection? Are there, is there more we can find there or is it going to like mess with it further? Especially because innocence was created like around the same time that they were making like second gig, especially, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I'm very interested to watch it again. Not only because obviously I don't remember it very well, um, but also because like the parts I do remember now that we're watching second gig, I'm like, Oh, okay. There's, there's like some uh like rich overlap here um or at least based on my vague impressions my vague memories um which may have been implanted by uh by the pope master um yeah who knows um but yeah so um i think uh were there any other uh, points you wanted to talk about with the film before we move on to um, questions and and uh, more yeah, goofs? I think I'm ready to, to wrap it up with some questions. Okay, sounds good. Um, I've already had my my crack at the these first two emails, um, but I will I will try to think of stuff that's like new, but also some of this is giving you the chance to answer. <coughs> um, sorry that I keep coughing. Um, I still have oh, that long thing. Unforgivable. Yeah. Um, um, I I can read this first one from Crystal. Okay. Um, she writes in and says, I don't know if this changes over the course of the manga, but reading the first volume of Ghost in the Shell blew my mind because it's practically a gag manga and the major might as well be uh, part of the dirty pair. To me, this made the 1995 film hilarious. Like someone made a very serious contemplative film about Garfield. What gag comic would you like to see adapted to a very serious anime movie? Um, I mean, is there any choice left but Heathcliff? I don't want Heathcliff. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> but Heathcliff. But I do. Yeah. 
Heathcliff's already perfect, though. I want I want the Heathcliff movie directed by Hideaki Anno. No. <laughs> no. You're wounding me. Uh, you know that there's like a a, a non-zero like percent chance that that could actually happen. Oh no. You you know that you know that that could actually happen though, right? No. <laughs> Hideaki Anno has, has thought about that at least one time. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think that's my. I think I think that's my answer. Um, Joao writes in and says in all caps, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. Question one: In the same way that Anno directed Winnie the Pooh, which famous car- children's cartoon would you want Oshi to direct? This is a, a somewhat similar question. Um. Yeah, that's the that's also a really good question. Um. Gosh. Um. I don't know. Um. Maybe like. Did you ever watch Doug? Yeah. Yeah, I think I want. I think I want to see Doug by by Oshi. Um, I don't know if that really qualifies as a famous. I think that's more of a obscure children's <laughs> cartoon. I'm old. We all watched Doug back then. Okay, <laughs> maybe it's obscure to you, youngins. But I think Doug with that like noirish, moody, like Doug as, but they're all adults, you know. Yeah. And the, ty- the type of adulthood that, like, would happen for the characters of Doug. And then just, like, um, this, like, moody, like, you know, noirish, like, depressive vibe. Um, I think that I think that would work great. Um, I had... Um, maybe, like, Arthur. Arthur is probably yeah. better. Arthur's... Arthur's a good one too. One that I had right now while you were talking about this is Hey Arnold. Um Oh yeah, no Hey Arnold. That's that's what I meant when I said Arthur. Hey Arnold. I'm well, getting, I like, think Arthur would be good up. too, but like Hey Arnold in particular had this like, you know, it was like set in a city. There was like a kind of a jazzy soundtrack, I think. Um Hey Arnold is like almost you know like in Oshi like production already. Yeah. Um our real monsters would would also be really good. We would just get some like intense monster body horror. I think. Um, that See that great. one. That one I think I missed. Oh. I don't know if I. If I. If it's I just that one. Ah! Uh, exclamation point. It's actually a a a h h exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point. That's all in caps, and then uh-huh. real monsters. <laughs> um, look at the. Children's cartoon used to be so fucking weird. Um, yeah, yeah, they they really did. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what they're like now because I haven't I haven't watched them in a while. But I feel maybe like, maybe you have. Yeah, I feel like in general they they feel a little bit more sanitized than like some of the stuff that I was watching as a kid. But then also like I watched the new Mickey Mouse cartoons, um, which are kind of referencing like the the old. Um, you know, Steamboat Willie style stuff. Um, but also like weirdly have this influence of nineties cartoons that you can like really trace back to Ren and Stimpy. And it's just kind of fucking weird to me that like Ren and Stimpy is influencing Mickey now. You know, that's really, that's really odd. Um, it's also odd to me that Mickey is like still 
a thing that's going. Yeah, I mean, it's iconic. That yeah, but I just I don't know. I just never would have thought. Um, um, so yeah, so Hey Arnold is a, is our final answer, I think. Yeah. Um, the other one that I had that I thought of before we recorded this is Teletubbies. <laughs> um, like just like one of those one of those like sh- shows i guess teletubbies isn't a cartoon but like one of those shows that is um intentionally for like babies you know mm-hmm. where things are just like bizarre where it's just like the you know teletubbies is like the sun is a baby they're just like walking around in a strange landscape just making weird noises um i feel like I feel like Oshi could like really have a field day with that. Um, yeah. Then the the other one, uh, what would be the Digimon of the main characters of Ghost in the Shell? Okay, so this one this one is rough because I know nothing about Digimon. I was really hoping that you would know stuff about Digimon because uh, neither Autumn nor I know anything about Digimon. Uh, this is I f- I feel really bad now because Jiro's not going to get a good answer from anybody. Yeah. Um, so for the last like couple minutes, I've been trying, I should have done this before we started. I was going to do this, uh, the same method as the, um, VTuber as how I answered the VTuber question before. Yeah. Um, where I just like pulled up a list and just picked at random or no, I just picked like based on first reaction to the image. Um, but I went to the Digimon wiki and I pulled up a list of, it's just it's just called list of Digimon, and it's literally crashing, like, my browser. Yeah, because it's it's so long, like it's crashing my browser. So, um, um, so I feel like ancient ancient Greymon, I feel like would be um, Aramaki. Uh, what, so, so Autumn and I ended up, cause we couldn't, we didn't know Digimon, so we did Pokemon. Can you do, oh, wow. can yeah. you do Yu-Gi-Oh cards? Ooh. Cause you know, Yu-Gi- you know, Yu-Gi-Oh stuff. I, I did. Yeah. I, I did a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. I think I can do that. Um, okay. Um, do you okay. want me to do so, something um, that I, obviously I thought ma- a little bit about? Yeah, so obviously the major is Blue Eyes White Dragon. Um, I'm not going to get into like the the fusions and like all that all that jazz. Yeah, um, I'm just going with like the base the base cards. Um, the major is Blue Eyes White Dragon. Um, I feel like the puppet master is probably like. Exodia, um, in the sense that, like, so the major is Blue Eyes White Dragon because she is, like, you know, the, like, most badass, like, trump card, basically. Um, the Puppet Master is Exodia because, like, in its base form, it's incomplete. Um, but then when you, like, unite it, um, it, you know, it also is like a trip card. Um, Bato 
Uh, Bato is um, Bato's Gaia the Fierce Knight. Um, because he's like pretty strong, um, but like not strong enough to carry, you know? Yeah. Um, and he definitely like thinks of himself like, you know, I think that's probably how he envisions himself. Um, let's see who else. Um, uh, Aramaki. I feel like Aramaki is a trap card, like a really good trap card, like mirror wall. Um, just cause Aramaki is not really the one who's like going out and dealing damage. He's the one where he's like making plans ahead of time. Um, and then when you like do what he's anticipating you to do, you just get like absolutely fucked. Um, so Armaki is a, is a trap card. I think Mirror Wall. Um, who else do you think I should do? <laughs> who who else am I missing here? Um, um, from the film. I mean, I think those are like the main characters of the film. Yeah. Oh, Tobisa. Um. Yeah, we got we have Togusa. Uh, uh, did you do Ishikawa? Does show up? Yeah, I think Ishikawa is like a Ishikawa is a red eyes black dragon because he's like similar to Kus- like his capabilities are similar to Kusanagi in some ways, like in terms of the hacking. Um, but he's just not nearly as strong or as good. Yeah. Um, and then Togusa is going to be like. Um, uh, oh, I know it. Togusa is, Kur- is Kuribo. Just Google, like, Kuribo. Oh, I, I know Kuribo. Okay, all right, good. Yeah, Togusa is Kuribo. Um, um, that's... So, yeah. There you go. I'm sorry I couldn't do Digimon, but... Um, first gen Yu-Gi-Oh is pretty good, I think. Yeah. Um, so the, the thing that, that I planned here, um, so Ishikawa, I think probably has like, my guess would be like Loki, but maybe Baphomet. Like, I think like a little bit edgy, um, sort of demon, but like kind of veering towards this like magic focus um probably like a little bit of like trickstery stuff um okay. i think toga says jack frost because like one he's a family man and like jack frost is kind of like the mascot and it's kind of like fun and friendly um and also i think like i appreciates like the the lower level but like a uh, good quality demon um, Aramaki is Arhabaki, and not just because of the similar names, but because like Arhabaki is like a, a weird, inscrutable deity thing, um, and has just like like it's like a trick, a tricky demon to work with, you know. Um, and then uh, I think Bato is Kuhulen, who's like focused on 
physical stuff has like a little bit of magic, uh, but it is more of like a, a physical demon. Um, and it's also kind of like associated with these like ideas of loyalty. Um, and then the major is of course, uh, the major who appeared in the, the phone game. <laughs> she just has herself as her demon. Um, excellent. So excellent. Those are the Shin Megami Tensei demons that each uh, main character of the Ghost in the Shell w- would have. Can't argue with that. Um, yeah. Not only because I'm, I'm sure that they're they're good uh, they're good picks, but also because um, I haven't played Shin Megami Tensei. Yeah. Um, and then uh, final email here. This comes in from Ina. So thank you, Ina. Uh, says, hey, what's up, Stairmasters? This is Ina, big fan, big fan. I'm pretty sure this is a question entirely for Autumn, and for that I apologize, uh, especially because you were, like, slightly too late for the recording. I think it was, like, the morning after, uh, the day after. But um, what would the cast of Arrow watch on the Arrow streaming service? I think I'm just going to bring this one up when we record the next Stairwells episodes. People can go check that out. We are going to be uh, watching and talking about Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Um, and we will, we will go through this. Have you watched any of the, the Arrow... Um, the Arrowverse? Uh, I have not, unfortunately. Okay. I think I have, so I would have some opinions, but I think it'll just be more fun to go through with, with Autumn. Um... Next question. Do you think you could make Bato cry? I think I so. know that. Yeah, I was going to say, I know that you're going to say yes to this. Yeah. I, I know Bato well enough now, like through the show and stuff that I think I would know how to get to him. You know, yeah. you just yeah. like have to like really make him, uh, like struggle with the, the like human toll of his job. I think <laughs> like I I would yeah. just like, and the thing is I know so much now that I could like, I could like have that like homemade alcohol from standalone complex and just like give it to him as a gift. You know, like I could just like yeah. pile up things, um, but in ways that would seem incidental to like really start getting at him. If I wanted to be mean and make Bato cry, I don't think I want to make Bato cry, but I do think I could, if I want to wanted to. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm kind of in in the same boat where I'm like, I know, I know Bato, like we know Bato well enough that we know like what gets to him. Yeah. Um, I think there is an aspect of like, I think there's a possibility that like I would go in very confident being like, yeah, this is, I, I have you figured out Bato. Um, and then he would like prove to be more resilient than I expected yeah. Um, like I'd come at him with, with like the perfect thing, and then he would be like, "No, no, I'm, I'm not going to cry. Like I'm just going to be like, you know, I'm just going to like stoically bear this, and I, I wouldn't actually be able to pull it off. Yeah, but I could make him feel something, but I don't know yeah. if I could like make him cry for sure. I think there's a chance he would, he would rise to the occasion and just like, you know." I will. I he will could, say th- he could get past it. The most surefire way I think to make Bajo cry would be to make him believe that the major is dead, um, and I don't think I could do that. I don't think that I could kill the major or make him believe that I killed the major. At this point, 
Yeah, no way. Yeah. I don't think he's going to believe that the major's dead. So um, I think I, I think there are other ways I could get at him, but that like that's the most surefire way, and I don't think I could do that. So, you know. Yeah. And even then, he might just, like, completely, like, I don't know if his grief response would necessarily be, yeah. like, to cry, you know? Um, I can make the, the major cry, and it would be by showing her some really great movies. Um, I'd have to, like, convince her to go see it alone, but I would still know that I made her cry. So. Mm, yeah. Um, but, like, in a good way. Like, I'm sure she will, will have like, like, she'll be surprised that she felt the emotion, but. What, what movie, like, if you had one shot, what movie would you, would you do? Um, I'm trying to, like, I don't think she's just going to like cry at like your, your typical tearjerker type thing. Right. I think you, I think you have to go for Forrest Gump. No. (laughs) I, like, legitimately, I think that something like. Um, pastoral to die in the country would get to her. This like, this like meditation on like on childhood and um, like if you were to kill the the mother in your memories, would you as a person cease to exist? Because like even the the memory of your mother is like an integral part of who you are. I think that would get to her, and I think she would cry at the end of that movie. Mm. Um, but like, it wouldn't specifically need to be a movie that's like dealing with these things that I think she would grapple with. Um, and and in ways that like a lot of people wouldn't cry, but she would because she would have this like trauma around it, you know? Yeah. But it would still be like a good cry. It'd be like, that was like a interesting exploration of like things that I'm dealing with. Um, but I don't think she's going to cry at Forrest Gump. It's going to be, no. it's going to be like, yeah. I definitely think one of those like childhood like films like a, a good like true photo film i think that could do it yeah um what other classic anime would you like to see an inappropriate and ill-advised american film remake of well you know not like but would what would be the funniest one um well i mean we just got the cowboy bebop remake which yeah is like definitely a, a qualifying answer to this question. Um, just like one that, you know, is going to be horrifically bad. Um, and then I actually haven't seen it. Oh, to be fair. Um, um but I, I think it's probably not that good. I think, I think one of the funniest one, like it would be really bad. I wouldn't like, I would not like to see it. It would be very funny would be an ill-advised American remake of Grave of the Fireflies. Because that's just, like, <laughs> a movie that is, like, so deeply grappling with, like, um, Japan the and the war and, like, yeah, yeah like, uh, America and things um, that I would have just absolutely no faith of any American, like, modern American Hollywood film to do know what to do with it <laughs> i could i'm there are american directors who could do it but like an Ill, ill-advised american film remake tells me it's like mainstream hollywood film production yeah yeah um, in the vein of the ghost in the shell uh movie which is terrible and we will never watch for this podcast <laughs> yes of course never 
Um, yeah, I mean, can I say everyone? Like, you just... I'm, like, going through different classic anime in my head, and I'm just like, every single one of these would be absolutely terrible. Um, I think... So here's one that's actually, like, plausible. Um, Monster. Like, I could see that one getting, an, like, a Hollywood film remake. And yeah. just being an absolute fucking train wreck. Um, just, like, getting every single thing wrong. Um, it, it would be bad. It would, like, not get what works about it. Um, see, because that's it would be one really that, like... stupid. No, I'm talking about something else right now. Okay, it would still right, be very funny, right. and I would go see it if they did a Cromartie High School movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know, because you know that would have like fucking like Seth Rogen in it. Yeah, it would have some terrible comedians. Um. They would definitely do the the dub thing with Cromarty High School, where they would just say like slurs and things because they're supposed to be delinquents. Um, yeah, so much of it would yeah. just be like weird, gross out humor, probably. You know, it would be, see. I think at this point in time, like if it had been done in like the you know twenty tens, I think it would have been like what you're describing. Um, but now I think that what would happen is it would be like all of the same people, like trying to like do what makes Cromartie High funny, but failing like, like they would be like, oh no, we actually want to like, you know, understand this and like translate it and then not at all being able to like... Like, they would try to do, like, the weird humor and try to understand, like, the weirdness of the humor and, and why it actually works. Yeah. Um, but in their trying, it would, like, be perhaps even worse than if they had just been, like, oh, this is just about, like, slurs and shit. They would get uh, Seth MacFarlane to work on it. Oh, my God. Yeah. They would. They'd be, like, who's, yeah. Who, oh, man, like, really I forget understands I... comedy? Yeah, a man that I forget if I've mentioned this on this podcast, um, but my mom's side of the family, which is like Irish and Scottish, um, that name goes back like the the family name um, is actually a, a break off of the clan McFarlane. Um, and it's like based on this like deep seated um like feud that occurred where there was like a schism between brothers and like the, my family was like the actual intended heir and another heir, like, or the, the other brother who's the younger brother, like usurped the throne. Um, and so like my family just like historically has a extremely long historic feud with the McFarlands. And it just makes it even funnier that I like hate family guy to me. <laughs> <laughs> it um, was, it was destined. Yeah. It's very Shakespearean. Um Is there anything else? No. <laughs> I like how you how you asked it and then you answered it. <laughs> I was on a so like 
on Mac, you you like with three fingers can like swipe on the trackpad and then go between different like screens. Uh-huh. And so I have one screen up that's like Firefox where I have like our notes document. And I also have like, you know, tiled the recording thing. And then I was swiping over to <laughs> Discord where I had sent you the, the, the questions. emails. Yeah, the questions. Yeah. So um, yeah. I was asking and then swiped and saw my answer immediately. Yeah, no, that's great, though. I'm going to use that like as like a setup for when like when I, you know, when I know we're like concluding something as like the question is rhetorical, like, is there yeah. anything else? No, no time to wrap things up. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a short episode of ghost divers. This will be a very long episode though, because there are two long episodes being put, well, like two slightly shorter for the, the podcast, but long episodes being stitched together. So they're merging into um, one entity. Um, that is neither ornate stairwells nor ghost divers yeah uh let's see where can people find you uh y'all can find me at ravelays r-a-b-b-l-e-a-s um people can follow me at foxmomnia f-o-x-m-o-m-n-i-a or you can also follow media pile m-e-d-i-a-m-h underscore p-i-l-e uh that's where i just like will tweet stuff that i'm currently watching or reading or whatever um you follow the podcast at ghost divers pod on twitter um if you want to send future emails you can send that to uh ghost divers pod at gmail.com at the the time that you are listening to this it is uh you know, if you're listening to it the day that it came out uh, it is a friday um in about one week on you know the the saturday so you have like an extra day you have like eight days from the day that this was released uh you can write in emails for our ghost in the shell to you innocence episode um otherwise uh you can go to exportodd.io to support the network um if you're listening to this in the free feed which that was what i was referring to in terms of doing this if you're listening to this in the patreon feed you will have, you have like extra time Right now it's Tuesday. You have like to the next Tuesday and then to Saturday until we're recording. You got time. Wow. Um, if you were listening to this in the Ghost Divers free feed or in the Ornate Stairwells free feed, you could have been listening to this a week earlier or, or you know, at least like three or four days early if you were a patron. So you should go to exportaud.io and become a patron. You'll get access to a bunch of um, podcasts early. Ghost Divers normally isn't one. It's just like because of the crossover with uh, Ornate Stairwells, but you get Ornate Stairwells a week early. Um, otherwise, you'd have to go to exportaud.io slash Ornate Stairwells to, to get the free feed. I mean, there's, um, really no, there's really no reason to not become a patron at this point. Yeah. Although, I mean, I understand, you know, economic hardship. Um, yeah but like a a dollar a month and you get a bunch of stuff one in one feed and then also a week early um is honestly worth it and if you do five dollars uh you get access to pop town funk where nora and autumn and sometimes a guest um they will roll a random funko pop and then they have to like watch a movie or something uh based on it so i think the next one uh which 
was coming out on the 7th of March. So depending on when you're listening to this is going to come out or is already out. Um, that one is about pixels, the Adam Sandler movie. So they definitely get Adam Sandler to be in the crow high movie. For sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, um <laughs> otherwise, do you have any one final thoughts? Days, one of these days we're going to assemble the cast of the American crow high remake. Um, maybe we'll do that on, on our upcoming crow high podcast. Yeah, I'm pondering Bhutan. Yeah. Um, um, that'll be a fun bit for that. Yeah, look forward to that. I'm excited for like when that happens. There keeps being moments where I'm like, God, when is that happening? And then thinking about how it's not until the summer and being like, that's so far. I want to do it, it now. Is. Yeah, um, I know. I, I, I walk past the like Kurlai manga on my bookshelf. The, well, my old bookshelf. Now it is the new bookshelf. Uh but nonetheless, I walk past it, and I'm like, damn, I want to do this. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to wait anymore, but... Um, we will we'll get you know, there. Yeah, we will. We, we'll get there. We have our plans, we're going to stick to them. Um, any final thoughts? No. Thanks for joining us again on, uh, on Ghost Stairwells. Yeah. Okokoro is real. You, you have to say it too, Connor. What? Well, <laughs> Say it again. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) This is a dumb bit that I have had planned, and I told... uh, I forgot to tell Autumn until we were recording, and I forgot to tell you as well. I'll I'll say anything you want me to. Just just tell me. That's what I'm here for. Tower, the bell 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 tower,
the victims have been bled that velvet lines the black box Bella Lugosi is dead Bella Lugosi is dead
Now people get to listen to, like, three or four hours of me and Connor talking. (laughs) (laughs) When you, um, in the Ghost in the Shell feed, is it going to lead with Connor, or Connor and you? No, it's going to lead with with this. I don't know if you're still recording, I am. It is going to lead with this. Um, Uh... Yeah. I'm fucking sleepy, dude. I just figured we would do it this way because um, I'm having this conversation and then I'll have the conversation with, with Connor and I just think it'll make more sense to just do it chronologically um, in both feeds. So, Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stop recording because I have to pee very badly. I'm going to stop recording. Okay, I hit record. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take a sip. I'm also taking a sip. Nora um, conveniently just left out the rest of the ginger beer that she didn't drink, so I am drinking that now. Oh, nice. Is that the same ginger, the like Brandenburg or whatever? Yeah, Bundaberg. Bundaberg. Yeah, Yeah. it's good. It's real good. Um, It's got like a nice bite to it. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. It's a little like I don't know if flat's the right word, but it's like a little flat because like um she used it for a cocktail and then it's been sitting out for an hour and I just now was like, Oh, look at that. There's a little treat for me. Yeah. Anyway. Um Just fucking changing fonts over here, and I was, and I was checking it. <laughs> I hit the the just I hit the command. Hell. I hit command period, which is the command that I do to make a note in Audacity. But um, I was not in Audacity. I was over clicked over into the other tiled window for our notes, and it you... just changed the entire font for Ghost in the Shell to Innocence. So you're you're a loose cannon. <laughs> Just fucking just going off changing fonts we're trying to wrap up the I podcast to, i have to turn in my my ghost divers badge and you do gun. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if people know this about yeah. Ghost Divers, um, but when we started the podcast, we decided that anytime... So we are, we are sheriffs of <laughs> Ghost Divers. We have badges and guns. Um, and whenever a guest comes on, we deputize them for the, yep. the duration of... Not just while they are recording, but like for the entire duration of like while they're watching, while they're recording the episodes, like that. You know, like if it takes us like two or three months to like record a season with guests, uh, that entire like those entire months they like have they a just gun have a, a gun the whole stuff. time yeah yeah um yeah but yeah. if unless you do something really really but bad, like, like yeah you like messing with the new it's stuff. just very important for us that our guests like identify themselves with the institution that is ghost divers right you know that they are allowed to like hold a gun that gives them like power and that they will right. then like associate that power with their ability to be like on the podcast, and then they will like and identify heard, themselves yeah. as a a guest of of ghost divers, right? Um, yeah, and and no matter what, like, I mean, to follow like to follow this analogy. Even well, no, it's it's can't. not an it's not an analogy. It's just this is what we do. This is this is how ghost divers operates. Right, right. To but, to follow this uh, literal description of um, our material conditions today, but that's why I said like, even though you're a loose cannon, you're still you're still on the squad. Like you're not turning yeah. in your badge and gun because like, you know, a little a little you know, a little coloring outside the lines yeah. is okay, as we've learned from from Ghost and Michelle. Yeah, <laughs> you can shoot a diplomat if you want. Yeah, just like no big deal. Yeah. Just assassinate the guy. <laughs> as long as while you're falling after shooting the diplomat, you do a really sick uh fading away into optic camo. Yeah, yeah. You do like the like brush your hand over your face. Yeah. And like then you're fully invisible. Um Yeah, as long as you have some sick moves after you shoot him. Or um, like a, a cool like one liner. Did um, I ever did I just while we are like fully bullshitting now, did I ever send you all of the cover art that I have for this um, season? I don't think you did. Let me just send this to you. It's cool. Um, are you DMing oops, me? Why is yeah? Um, I guess I'll send these one at a time because it'll be easier. Uh, this first one was for the the intro episode. But why are you not sending? I hear it like clicking <laughs> and yeah. rejecting on your end. There we go. Um, that's the oh, nice. the intro episode, and it's kind of just going to be the default one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, then this is for this episode we just recorded. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is what you were referencing earlier. Yeah. Um. This is for this, this shot goes by so fast in the yeah. film that I didn't even notice. Like, I didn't fully grasp how like graphic it is. Um. That's the one for uh innocence, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. Unless another one like really stands out to me in one I'm watching the film. 
really leaning um, hard into the body horror here with these yeah with these uh with this art um and then for uh all of second gig um it's this one which okay. is a little bit more like reference to the art for um the first season um this one is for solid state society um okay we're slowly rotating counterclockwise yeah um and then here's just another one that um i just i just made it uh i don't think that i'm i'm gonna use it for anything like i don't i don't know what i would use this for i just thought it would be fun to make it so <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm sure we'll never use this. No one yeah. will ever see it. Yeah. Um, um, it was just an experiment. Like I was like putting different stuff in, and I, you know. Yeah, you were like, "This is one like what's one? Thi- I'm gonna make this like intentionally make a thing that we're never gonna use. Like, what's one thing that I could make that we would never ever use? Yeah, and yes. it was this. Yeah. 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 People are never gonna see this. Yeah. Uh, this is just between you and me. Yeah. Talking about it. I don't even think they would allow this on Apple Podcasts. I think they would ban us for this. I think if they, they saw this cover art, they like saw me submit it, they would say no. They probably would. I mean, I, I want to ban us for this. Yeah. Thankfully, like, we're I, never using it. Right. Yeah. So we're never going to have either one of those problems. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Um. I, I was explaining this to you. Um, so, like, for for stairwells cover art, um, we always try and find some stairs from the movie, if we can, uh, to do as the cover art. Um, sometimes it means that we don't have the best image, but, like, that's my, that's my guiding rule for cover art for stairwells, is that I want some stairs from the movie, if there are any possible stairs I can put for that cover. Um... The ghost Riders one is a lot easier to achieve because I always want a face. Um, that's like my big thing. And usually I want like a good close up on a face, but I am okay with like places where that like will break a little bit. Um, sure. Like the Ray Earth one. Yeah. The Ray Earth one was like, cause I wanted to have all three girls for Ray Earth. Um, so, and then like for, for Utena, I intentionally wanted to have, um, the two of them together Mm -hmm. uh and it to for for both cover arts that we did for it to be kisses um as just like a thing gesturing at what people associate with utena and then us talking about like the the things that are more complex beyond that um but and so that's also why i was like okay i'm gonna have like more standard this is how i handle the the cover art for the second gig in solid state society. But for these like Oshi movies, um, I want to like do something that's going to gesture more at the like body horror. And so it's going to have to pull back a little bit more. Right. Um, and then for this, this last one, it's yeah. just like, you know, still that one. I just want wanted to, to like absolutely disgust us. Just, yeah. Um, Honestly, beyond objection. This is just like to the pure revulsion. I'm just no longer a human after looking yeah. at this image. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
the full dehumanization <laughs> of the, the body. Um, yeah, like my consciousness is completely dissolved. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good because this is the last time we'll we'll see it, and no one ever, no one else will be will uh, have to look at this. Yeah. I'm sorry that I I showed this to you, Connor. I'm sorry it's that okay. I subjected you to this. It's okay. I mean, there's only like, you know, years worth of damage that's been sustained. Yeah. Um, um that's okay. Do you have any more goofs or do you want to stop recording so that you can go spend time with your girlfriend who now lives um, with you? Yeah, let's let's do the second one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, yeah. If uh, if we haven't already done a sufficient goodbye to the to the listeners, um, oh no, we did. We already did. Okay. Uh, yeah, a last yeah, minute, a last minute lem. We got a last minute oh, lem. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. We almost were without lem, but we got yeah, a lem. Do you want to say anything, lem? Do you want to say anything? Furious scratching ensues. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um uh, okay, I'm gonna stop recording. Okay. Cool. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna hop off. Okay, now recording. Okay, I'm recording. Excellent. Um, um shall we do a time that is clap? Yeah. Yeah, we probably should. I still don't do time that is claps when I record with Autumn, but I you have like that weird speed thing that just makes me like extra anxious about it for some reason. Okay. Yeah. Also, when you record with Autumn, it's just fucking chaos. We're a little more structured yeah. here on Ghost Divers. Well, the other thing, too, is um, at this point, we mostly record in person. So, mm. Not right. the last like few times because I got COVID, but... Um, yeah, well, that certainly eliminates the, uh, the need for, for time.is. Um, yeah. Maybe one day we will have our first in-person Ghost Divers recording. Um, yeah. I mean, ostensibly, I am, like, more immune now, I guess. Not that I'm going to, like, super take advantage of that, but... Uh, I, th- I think you're probably good. Although I, I don't, you know... I'm not qualified at yeah. all to make that statement, but I think that's pretty... I think that's a consensus. Um, yeah. At least for a little bit. Right. And hopefully for a lot of it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, this is like not even important podcast talk, but I'm going to try and post for the role playing group soon. So the thing is I had like a lung infection since December. Um, and then I got COVID. Um, and for a while I was just like, I want this to like clear up a little bit. And then I was going to post like literally the weekend that we all got COVID. So, um, yeah. But yeah. Now that now that I'm, I still have like a cough, and I'm probably just gonna have it for a while because whatever's going on must have gotten exacerbated. But, um, yeah, want to try and get back to role playing. You know, they can put like, um, they have this new treatment where they put like chemicals in your lungs. It's almost like bleach, you know, or ultraviolet ra- radiation. I'll just clear clear all that up. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? Is it called smoking weed? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but that's another that's another option. Um, yeah, that also puts chemicals in my lungs. Yeah, no, I think that's probably better than like 
you know, those are good. <laughs> then drinking, then inhaling bleach, then injecting bleach into your chest. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this smoking weed that's good chemicals for the most part. Um, okay, so yeah, no, the yeah, for tabletop stuff, that's gonna be awesome when we start that back up again. Um, yeah, I am anxiously looking forward to it, um, but also, um, not trying to bug you about it too much because I know you have, um, yeah. you know, had a life. We also potty trained. We did so much. Oh, really? We're still like kind of in potty training, but um, they're they're getting pretty good at it now. Okay. Uh, we haven't we haven't fully done nighttime yet, but um, I kind of want to do uh the like, and we didn't want to do this right when we were starting potty training, but pretty soon I think we're gonna transition to like big kid bad which is basically just taking one of the like walls of bars off of the crib um and that way they can get in and out of bed on their own Mm. and then i think it might be a little bit easier to do some of the nighttime training because then we can be like hey you're not wearing a diaper but like if you really have to go we can like have a little potty in the bedroom and they can like get up and go and go potty Mm -hmm. um so um yeah, that's, that's going to be a big step. Um, um, that's that's exciting. There's, a, there's a part of it where like some of it is like, oh, you need to like train them to just like hold it all night, and I'm like, I feel like just training your kid to like know how to get out of bed when they have to pee and just go pee is fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, See, I'm not I'm not qualified to <laughs> to to weigh in on that subject, but your position yeah. seems logical. Um. um yeah, I, I don't know. Um, seems pretty. Um, uh, seems pretty. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know what to say about that. Seems pretty very Freudian to <laughs> teach your kid to you know. Oh, you have to hold your bodily functions. This is like an important part of like becoming an adult. And as part of it too is like, there's a certain amount where like, yes, it's important to learn how to like hold some of your body bodily functions when to like it's socially acceptable or unacceptable yeah to, or to until you can like find a restroom to use it and things. But there's a certain amount to which it's like a toddler still sleeps like twelve hours at night. Like you can just get up and go potty. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, that's the end goal that you want to get to, like, ultimately, yeah. anyway, so. Well, and so, like, the other thing that you do is, like, basically, you're telling them to hold it, but then there are, like, times when you come in and then, like, get them out of bed to go potty. Um, and then you can, like, start shifting that time to, like, have them hold it longer. That's, like, the advantage to that version, but there's part of it is, like kid can just get up and go potty as long as they like know how to go back to sleep after i do that i'm on spiro i wake up at least once every night to pee yeah i was i was thinking the way it is i was like yeah from you know um i'm I'm sure that like holding it all night is unthinkable for you Uh, there's (laughs) a level of empathy there that you know maybe is not shared by everyone everywhere Mm -hmm. um Okay, so uh, so you you just finished recording with Autumn, right? No. Okay. We recorded on Tuesday. Okay, it's good. Friday now. So hopefully, which this is actually be... the same 
the same distance between when this when all of this is going to show up in the um patreon feed and then when it will show up in the ghost divers free feed mm. yeah so yeah just another uh, another reason to subscribe to that export or no, audio patreon it's one it's one more day because it's saturday it's not friday yeah so you have to wait even wait is it well less no. or longer is it more or less they will they will wait less than we had as a gap in between because well, i forgot what day it was because i'm tired yeah well still give money to the export audio patreon because you still don't yeah. even you're waiting days right it's some number yeah. of days you don't want to wait yeah you want to get this content right away um yeah so just like completely fresh off we finished recording just you know shut down our computers slap it together in audacity and fire it off straight to your inbox yeah um oh i don't know if you saw i sent you uh a direct message on discord of the emails when we get Mm -hmm. to that section yeah i I wasn't Um, prepared for for emails at all so i'm gonna have to comically stumble my way through this um but that's gonna be fun yeah um my other update one i want to ask you because your girlfriend moved in how's that going uh it's going well um yeah right now she's uh she's downstairs um ripping still ripping the apartment apart um it turns out that my apartment was was pretty was pretty garbage um before she moved in so um you know were you, uh, were you still using a microwave box as your table, or did you at least move beyond that? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've, I've moved several levels beyond that. Um, okay, that was kind of that was kind of a low point, I think. Um, yeah, I've like if that was like you know level like two out of ten for for my apartment situations throughout my life. Uh, you know, yeah. obviously one being the worst. Um, I was at probably like, I don't know, maybe like a seven, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere between a seven and an eight. And, uh, yeah. But now, she needs like, like a nine or a 10. Correct. There was like, and yeah. I didn't even understand what like nine or 10 was, you know? Like I was at like seven yeah. and a half, and I was legitimately being like, I can't imagine you this just, being any better. Like, you just had a completely uncovered duvet on your bed. Yeah. So my bed situation was interesting. So, okay. So I had like, um, cause this was a point of discussion that came up. So I like some time ago, I don't know when, but, uh, I just completely abandoned like sleeping under sheets. Um, it just like, I don't know how or why, but, um, it was probably yeah. something to do with like cleaning them regularly and then also like putting them on the bed where the like amount of effort just didn't like you know the benefit that I was getting out of it versus the effort I had to put in I just calculated that was not commensurate so I just abandoned it so basically what I was doing was I had one fitted sheet on the bed and then I had like depending on the season just like two blankets two like very large blankets um that I would yeah. just like sleep under. 
Um, and uh, no, but did you have a duvet cover over the blanket? That, that absolutely, was, like not. against your skin. Absolutely okay. not. Yeah, yeah. Um, because so on our bed we have uh like you know we have the fitted sheet we have a sheet and then we have um uh like blanket that has a duvet cover on it. Mm-hmm. But technically, if you have a duvet cover on it, you can then not have a sheet. Okay. But then you're just having to watch the wash the duvet cover more often. Right. Um. And so the duvet cover is still on there to like help keep the sheet itself nice. Um, but we then have like a sheet, you know, and that's the thing that like, like regularly we wash the sheets and then the duvet cover is like not every single time, but sometimes. So I I have a theory that like, I had kind of formulated over time, which was like the fewer things that are on my bed, the better it is. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I sleep better, the fewer things that are on the bed. And so like, I'm talking pillows, sheets, covers, like all bed related items, because when I'm sleeping, there is some sort of like subconscious part of my brain that's still aware of like the amount of objects in my bed and the, like, you know, the amount of layers of like covering on me and like navigating it, like as I'm, you know, rolling and moving, like there's just I'm like feeling the the various like five blankets on top of me, and now I have to like process in some region of my brain like the five different like textures of blanket, um and whatever, and it's just too like too much like it stresses my brain out when I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> so when I just have like one pillow, like one one or two blankets, two only when absolutely necessary for me to not freeze. Um, it just like simplifies the whole situation and I just feel more, like more rested as a result. Um, but you know, now, uh, now there's a lot, a lot more things happening on my bed and, um, yeah, it's okay. I mean, I'll, uh, I'm, I'm adjusting like happily. Um, it is much nicer, like objectively. My solution, you could try this, is I sleep like a corpse, and so I just don't move, and so my body just processes everything once, and then I just don't move at all, um, and then nothing shifts on top of me or anything, and then I just get, you know, I mean, I still have insomnia, but, like, that's the falling asleep part, not the being asleep part. Right, once you're asleep, it's just, like, you're, you're done. Your brain is just, like, completely yeah. shut off. Mm. Yeah. I'm thinking about, like, maybe... Bef- when I'm, you know, kind of like winding down, getting ready to sleep, like right before I go to go to bed, just like striking my head really hard against the wall, <laughs> trying to like knock myself out, um, so I can just ride that would... wave like the whole night, you know, stand conscious like after a head injury the whole night. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um. I would um, recommend not doing that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I what's st- I'm still it's still being debated, so it's not like a you know. Yeah. It's not well, like a final. My recommendation decision. is is don't do the whacking your head on the wall. Right. Right. Um, and you I'm, could just, I'm just saying like, you could I'm just like take some I, melatonin like I do or something. Yeah, that's an option too. Yeah, I'm still thinking about yeah. it. You know. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, no, it, it, anyway, like to, to answer your question, it, it hasn't been like, I mean, she's been really like, you know, um, kind and like, um, considerate, uh, about the whole thing. It, it hasn't been framed as like, oh, your apartment's shitty. I'm just, you know, making that, I'm just making that as a joke. Um, but like, in spite of her Good being cover. like, <laughs> yeah, I, but like, in spite of her being like very stressed, because I think it's some more, you know, she's the one actually moving here. So, um, in spite of her being very stressed, like, she's been really kind and considerate. And I've been like, you know, basically, this is your apartment now, so just do whatever you want. And I'll just like, yeah. if there's anything where I'm like, oh, wait, this is actually like, you know, a severe hindrance for for me, I'll tell you like after and then we can like try to figure it out. But like, just you know, go ahead and like change it however you want, and like let me know how I can help you, and then, um, you know, we'll f- we'll go from there. Once all the like, once all those chips have fallen into place, um, yeah. But we're almost done. So like right now, she's, um, well, when when I start when we started podcasting, I hope she's done now. Um, she was like, we uh, we're getting rid of my old bookcase. Um, because it is like, she has a nicer one. So yeah, she was like re- re- reorganizing all, all the books onto it. Um, so, um, anyway, long winded answer to, to a simple question, but, um, yeah. it's going well. Um, I have one final update before we do the time by this clap and get into ghost in the shell. Um, which is that my brain is currently fully in Nana mode. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I started one, I started watching the show cause I got the, the pre-order that I made, um, from Sentai, um, arrived and I didn't watch it immediately, but I, I started watching it cause I had like finally had some time to just like put that on. Um, and especially with like, we're going to be re- recording a bunch of episodes about movies where I'm not going to be watching them during my workday. Like I do with the TV show. I'm just going to be watching Nana during the workday. Um, and I watched it and, and really enjoyed it and then, uh, started reading the manga because, um, so like my parents will often like message me, like they'll text me like maybe a day or two after my actual birthday being like, Oh, happy birthday. Uh, what do you want for your birthday? And I'll just be like, Oh, some money is fine. Um, and so I was thinking about like this year, what am I going to get? with uh the money when that happens um and i figured that i would get like a nice fire tablet because i have an extremely old one that's like the second generation from 2012 or whatever um and like the battery on that is about an hour like it can be on for about an hour and then it's dead and then you like plug it in and you can't even have it plugged in and on like it has to be off to actually be charging oh yeah that's um, very, it'll that actually sounds very slowly yeah it'll ju- it'll drain slower if you have it plugged in but it still drains while it's plugged in if you have the screen on and you're like actively using it um, <laughs> that's that's pretty and uh, it's pretty impressive yeah and also it was just like it's like a seven inch screen and that's that's small for and it's like not high res in the way like it's like a fairly low res seven inch screen. And so it was just like, not great for reading manga on. I, I did it sometimes, but um, the other thing too, is that like 
there wasn't a good manga reading app on it. And so the way that you did it, it like ended up putting like margins around it as if it was like a book, like where you would have like, you know, like an ebook, mm-hmm. but then you, there's already margins for the, the comic. And so it's like an extremely small little page on the screen. That's like maybe like six inches or five inches instead of seven. Um, and so it was kind of miserable reading manga on there. And I was like, I just want to like be able to read more and not always have to just like spend money on it or hope that I can get it from a library or something. Um, and so I was like, Oh, I'll just get a nice new fire tablet. And then I remembered that my mom, um, like for a while would basically get new iPads all the time. Um, and one time she asked if I wanted one. And back then I was like, not really. Um, and like, it's really hard to sideload stuff onto an iPad. Um, but I was like, well, I'll just message my mom and be like, Hey, do you still do this? Do you still have like an iPad laying around? Cause I'll take it if you do. Cause I'm thinking now it'd be nice to have like a nicer tablet. Um, mom was like, no, now I have like a good laptop and I always just get really big phones. And so I feel like I don't need a tablet. Um, why? And I was like, oh, I was just thinking about this and then was like, oh, do you want that for your birthday? Um, and then still like not trusting themselves to actually remember my actual birthday. And my mom just immediately ordered it and had it delivered to me like the next day. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> that's one so, way of dealing with that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, part of me wishes that my parents would just remember my birthday, but it's still nice to now have a fire tablet. Um, uh, that's so. not a bad constellation prize. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little bit nicer than the other way around where they just forget and then send me money after the fact. Right. But, um, but yeah, so I just like loaded, I, I spent like an evening just like losing my brain to just loading a bunch of manga onto there. And also like light novels, like I'm going to read the other side picnic light novels. Are you, have you heard of these? Mm-mm. Um, there's also a manga version that's like coming out, but, um, so I did the manga and the, the light novels, but it's based on, um, the roadside picnic, the, the book that like soccer is based on. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, also like a girl's love manga. So the main characters are girls who end up dating each other. Interesting. Um, <laughs> so uh, I haven't started reading that, but I was like, I did put all 21 volumes of Nana on there. Um, and I read the first volume in like a night and just completely enamored. The The show is good, but like the manga is just excellent. Um, I'm To be fair, like I read beyond where I am in the show in the manga. And so some of the stuff I want to see how they handle it in the show, um, because they kind of restructure things in the show where it starts with the two Nana's meeting and then it jumps back to the, like their stories before they actually meet up and move to Tokyo. Um, and like what I'm saying is like widely, this is like the general opinion in Japan. And I think it's correct is that the, the, so the manga just starts with both of their backstories and then it got so popular that it got like picked up and that's where she was like, okay, they're going to like meet, become roommates. This is going to be the like plot going forward. But the original idea was just, like, two kind of similar stories of, like, two girls named Nana who are, like, in a relationship and there's, like, some, you know, romance trouble stuff and then, like, culminates in deciding to move to Tokyo. Um, And it was kind of just, like, these two parallel stories. But one is, like, this, like, more um, femme, like, going to art school, like, very, like, into, like, modern fashion in, like, this, like, more 
like way that like clueless or something would be mm-hmm. like my comparison in terms of like her vibes. Um, the movie clueless. Um, whereas the other Nana, the second part that came out is she's like a punk rocker. She's a little bit more butch. Um, and that second part, that's like the, the Nana Osaki one, the like punk rocker one. That one is just like really, really fantastically written. Um, it's some of the best manga that I've read in a really long time. Um, and so part of me is like, where I am in the show right now is it jumped back to um, Nona, Nana Komatsu's backstory, the like more clueless one, not the punk rocker one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one just like didn't hit as well for me. So I'm kind of excited for when the show gets to punk rocker backstory. Um, but also my brain's like so fully in this that I'm like, we're just, we're going to do Nana on the podcast at some point. I've I'm been just waiting for this, figuring I'm out like, how to break it down. Um, I was like, okay, so this is a lead up to like, <laughs> the announcement of when we're going to do Nana on the podcast. But I want you to pick something that you want us to do after Iron-Blooded Orphans before we do Nana. I don't want to just immediately go from Iron-Blooded Orphans into Nana, another 50-episode anime that will probably go through faster than Iron-Blooded Orphans. But like, I want like you to pick at least one thing before I get Nana on the schedule. Okay, that's um, fair. That's I fair. know, like, I know that you've talked about, like... Psychopaths, or um, even like My Hero Academia, maybe at this point during no, the first no, season is far enough. Maybe, no. but <laughs> no, no, not my like. Um, I, I, I do like My Hero Academia, but like in the way of yeah, like I yeah, think... in the way of like twenty five percent of me saying I like <laughs> MH, MHA is a joke. Like, and we yeah. definitely like not for Ghost Divers type stuff. Um, um, I think I'm at the point where like we have it planned out through Iron Blooded Orphans, and I think after Iron Blooded Orphans, I want it to be like you pick, I pick, you pick, I pick. For the most part, like we can talk through if there's like, oh, we really want to try and get something in for like the holiday season or something. But, um, sure. but yeah, yeah, I think that'll be that'll be fine because some of this was like okay, there's like stuff that I know that I want to do. I know that like I've seen more classic anime than you, um. Not as like a, a dig against you. I just have been watching <laughs> anime longer. Yeah, um, right, right. Um, and so some of this is like, oh, let me like introduce some stuff to Connor. Let me like hit some big classics that I think will be like good for setting. Like this is what Ghost Divers is. But at this point, I feel like Ghost Divers has been going for a while. Right. Like we know what we are. We can just like settle into even just doing stuff where it's like neither of us has really seen this. We just want to watch it. We've heard good things or something, you know, exactly. Our 2022 tarot reading. Like we know, we know who we are and uh, now we can like expand out. Um, Um, I don't think people have heard that bit yet, which is going to be great. People will hear that bit eventually. Okay, good. Yeah. Preview. We, we did a tarot reading for 2022. It's all true. It's all come true. It was true when it happened and it's also still true now. Um, so um, yeah, fun, fun stuff. I, I think Nana will be fun too, because it's, we've done some stuff that's like more in the shoujo territory, but like Nana is just like full in the like, like this is just a, a series that is like a romance series for like, honestly, like veering even more adult women. Um, Like, I think the show might be a little bit more into like young adult women and adult women, but um. Like, the manga is, like, has some... I mean, it's, like, very softcore, nothing explicit drawn, just, like, 
gestured at, but there's like sex scenes that happen in the manga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in a way that's just like not what you would expect from, you know, Shoujo. like a small, like a, a fully like this is just Shoujo like vibe. So um, it's definitely like aiming more for, and I, I think. I forget. Both of them were like published in. I believe that this one was actually for like a, a um, thing that was more around like manga, but like one of her works right before it, Paradise Kiss, was actually published in like a fashion magazine, um, too. So like, yeah, she just kind of has a like this manga kiss style. It veers more into like just adult romance stuff, mm-hmm. um, like. I think both Nanas are supposed to be 20 um, when they meet. Some of the backstory starts when they're like more in high school age, but, um, but yeah, it's like them in like in their twenties, which again is still like young adult, but it is like less this, Oh, here's a bunch of high school girls that I think is just kind of the, the standard expectation for a lot of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that'll be a nice change of pace from what we've mm-hmm. been working with. Um, I think it'll be great to do a series where we're just talking about drama of, like, who's this character going to end up with and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I love that shit, but... What a relief. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about that with, like... We're, we aren't going to talk about that when we do Serial Experiments Lane. That's not a show about, like, who are people going to date. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll come up with something good. Um, I don't know yet what uh, what I'm going to choose for 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 that slot, um, but now that you got me thinking about it, I'll uh, I'll come up with, come up with something good. Um, okay. Yeah. So do you want to do a time that is clap at half hour into this recording? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've been. I've just been waiting. You know. I've been waiting for the right time. Yeah. Um. And finally, I'm. I'm. It looks like, I think, 51, uh, sorry, 52 looks good. Okay. It was. It was perfect. I'm glad we waited. Yeah. Um, that felt great. Um, um, so, yeah. Any any final goof off or shall, shall I launch right into this? No, I, I think we're, I think I'm good to go. Okay. Um, we, we can maybe move on to something else, but I'm going to take a quick bathroom break. Okay. Same. (sighs) Okay. I'm back. Okay. Hello. Um, I don't know if you just for like quickly thinking through, I don't know if you have specific things that you want to hit on. The, the biggest one for me is... There is this bit about like the major's relationship with uh like her body as a thing that is owned by the state. Yep, that's um, the that's the one. Yeah, and I want to talk about that some and then also I think when we I'm kind of glad that we like fell into the situation where we ended up not finishing the recording of second gig. Cause I think I, it will make it easier for me to like directly refer to some of this stuff as like what I'm thinking about issues that I'm having with second gig is when I'm thinking about ways that I wish that they were pulling at aspects 
of like the major and what's going on with her and, and ways that like she could be revolutionized that are gestured at in this movie, especially, but also in some like earlier standalone complex and then kind of gets like forgotten to some degree at the end of second gig in a way where I feel like so much of that stuff could be stronger, but we'll get into that when we get into second gig. Okay. Um, Um, when we do that recording, but I think it will be useful to bring that up here and then we can, I will, when we record next time, which does next Saturday work for you? Yeah, that should be fine. Okay. We'll have like three Saturdays in a row, but it'll, you know, we only have to watch a movie for the other one. So yeah. Um, Um, Yeah. I think next Saturday should be fine. Okay. Um, Um, So do you want me to, kick it off I, i'm gonna i'll navigate us to where i think you want to be yeah <laughs> 